Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today on the journey towards self-mastery. The revolution will not be televised. It will be digitized. Just ask our next guest. He's the founder and business director of Abantu Audio, the world's first Black-owned audiobook company that aims to bring the stories of the oppressed and subjugated to the forefront. He was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and was raised in Florida. He graduated from the University of Texas, El Paso, with a degree in computer information systems and management. He founded Abantu Audio in 2015 and has not looked back. He's striving to bring black and brown voices into a predominantly white audiobook realm. He believes that a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. Let's welcome today Mr. Luke Cadet to the program. Luke, how you doing today, man? I said, brother, I appreciate you having me on. I thank you. I'm doing well. Yourself? I am well, man. I am well. I'm excited, you know, yeah. to just to have you on because, you know, I'm an avid reader and I listen to audiobooks like crazy. I think I probably listen, probably run through like four books, four audiobooks a month, maybe, probably more than that. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Um, it just, I started it when um, I used to work, I used to work in the Bronx, like, um, and from the Bronx to my house is about, this is New York. So from the Bronx to my house is about two hours, man. And when I started working, I'm like, yo, what am I going to do for two hours in my car? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I was kind of going crazy. Like, yo, I can't listen to the radio for two hours. I can't listen to no music for two hours. Like there's nothing, you know, I could think about doing for two hours, man. And um, so right. I started researching different things, man. And I ran into audiobooks i'm like oh this looks pretty cool man like let me try this and uh since i started man i've been hooked i've been hooked so yeah man <laughs> i feel you <laughs> i definitely feel you on that <laughs> sir yeah man um so uh you know this is probably something that uh i guess the average person might not really be aware of even in regards to audiobooks uh even when i talk to audiobook about audiobooks with people some of them still are like well what is that or you know, or they don't understand like why somebody would want to read an audiobook instead of a, a regular book. Like, you know, this is like old school people <laughs> generally right. uh, have that mindset. Right. Like, why would somebody want to read an audiobook instead of, uh, you know, a regular book and things like that? Um, so before we get started, like, uh, can you tell us kind of like uh, what an audiobook really is and kind of the purpose of it, man? And what the uh, benefits of reading an audiobook are versus like, I guess, a regular book? Yeah. So, um, so an audiobook is basically a digitized oral narration of an actual book. So you get somebody, a narrator, storyteller, whatever, a voice actor, voice over um, narrator, uh, to basically narrate or read this book. And, um, and it's recorded, it's produced, it's, engineered it's mastered edited whatever the case is um they may add different production sound design into it also so that it becomes more theatrical but ultimately it's it's an oral storytelling um, digital medium ultimately um and to be honest with you um just looking back at you know african people in general um throughout the diaspora and our and you know the historical context of our culture we've always been an oral storytelling people you know what I mean? Even Native Americans, they've always been oral storytelling 
people. You know what I mean? So it's it's something that's very uh very cultural to us. You know, as 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 a, as a, as a melanated people. And uh, I mean, even till today, you know, dudes be in the barbershop telling oral stories. Yep, <laughs> yep. So, so you know, when you think about audiobooks, I mean, honestly, it's really just looking at it through that kind of lens. Like, hey, these are just stories that you know are being told orally um, rather than you know from a just physical book. Yeah, you're right, man. Like it's in all components of our culture, man. Like from church, like pastors and preachers right. and uh, our teachers, like um, our parents telling us stories about them growing up and things like that. Right. Uh, so it's all over, man. And even from, you know, you mentioned the history, but even into the present, uh, the best way that people learn, including young people, is through st- storytelling. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you said. So um, in connection to like just people hearing, um, you know, the, the, these uh, stories and uh, the history and um, things like that, like, why is that stuff important, man? Why is this why is it important for us to continue with the storytelling in connection to the historical component of it? Like, um you know, instead of just, you know, you know, you, you just making a audiobook uh, company just to have some fictional books or some whatever books, your focus is on the history and the storytelling and, you know, other components as well. But a lot of it is the history. So why, why focus in on that? Right. So it, it kind of goes back to one of the, one of the questions, the question that you asked before. So one of the benefits of it. So, you know, in 2015, um, I was just starting out my career um, out of college and, um, you know, I didn't have time to read books, but I really wanted to learn more about black history, you know, prior to uh, slavery. And so uh, the books that I wanted to learn about and read about, you know, I was these are thick books that you're talking about. I wasn't going to have the time to read them because, you know, one. I'm busy trying to, you know, get my career established. And two, these are thick books and they can be discouraging. <laughs> like you read yep, yep, yep. Ten, pages, <laughs> 10 pages thinking you're doing something and then you still got 400 pages left, you know what I mean? Or 600 pages left. So it can be discouraging. <laughs> are you all right, but, um, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I, um, I wanted to listen and I, at the time, I was actually also listening to um, audiobooks on an entrepreneur level because I always had this entrepreneur spirit in me. I always knew I wanted to do something that was going to impact my community in a positive way. So um, I was listening to audiobooks, and I was like, yo, let me see if they have some audiobooks of the titles that I want to hear, you know, these historical titles. And what I found was that none of the titles that I wanted to listen to were on any of the audiobook platforms that were around at the time. And uh, as I went in deeper, I started realizing that there's not really a lot of black stories and narratives in general on mm. platforms at all. And so that's kind of, um, that's kind of what, what stemmed the idea. But ultimately, um, as far as the history, while we focus on that, um, we, um, we focus on it because I think that our school system here in the U S and globally, they do a very, they, they, they do us a disservice and an injustice. Um, to our society by not telling the truth about the history. Amen. You know, just, just earlier today, my, I have a buddy of mine that came down. He came down here to, to San Antonio. Um, we went to uh, we went to some historical monument here in San Antonio, and uh, it's talking about Texas history. And they're over here calling these white folks that came into Texas settlers. 
and they're over here talking about, oh, Mexico didn't want to, you know, they, they passed some type of policy for immigration when it's really for slavery because these white folks wanted to bring their slaves with them. And Mexico was like, nah, you know what <laughs> I mean? So they're not telling, they're not telling the truth. You know what I mean? They're not telling the truth, the true historical context of our stories and our history in this country and globally. And that's a problem because growing up as a young black male in this country, um, you know, it, it can easily, you can easily think of yourself as less than, because all they teach us about is slavery and mm-hmm. how you were losing how you were this and that. They don't even touch, teach us about the rebellion. You know, being Haitian, if it wasn't the fact that I was Haitian, I wouldn't even have even known about the Haitian Revolution. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, so they only teach us about how to be docile and the docile and how how you were getting abused and mistreated. But they don't tell you about the Nat Turners who were turning up. They ain't telling you about them. You know what I mean? They ain't telling you about the 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 Marvettis who were turning up. Yes, you know sir. I mean? so, so the Toussaints, the Dessalines, yeah, man. Right. They don't tell you about none of them. So, so that's a problem. Because if you're going to tell the story in the history, tell it truthfully and honestly and, and, and tell people the truth about how, how you did people. You know, so I, I just found out that, that was a problem. And I think that when, as Black people, if we know our true history, which we're starting to learn more about, um, there's a certain pride that come with that. I mean, there's a certain pride that come with that. There's a certain way, at least in my perspective, there's a certain way that you look at yourself and you carry yourself, you know, when you understand in depth the the things that your ancestors have done. You know what I mean? When I look at Booker T. Washington and all of them, they were slaves. And look at what they did. Look at look at um, Frederick Douglass. He was a slave. And he became a VP candidate back then. Mm. You know what I mean? So if he was able to do stuff back then and he was a slave, then I should have no issue. You know what I mean? And even if even if I do have issues, I didn't have issues like him. <laughs> you know that is and a that's fact. Just yep. Yep. That's so so there's a this there's a there's a there's a there's a swag, there's a there's an energy, there's a pride, there's a way that you carry yourself and look at yourself and present yourself, I feel like, when you really understand the depth the deafness of your history and how rich it is, especially prior to slavery. So that's the primary reason that I you know, I decided to focus on that. And honestly, uh, with my, my co-founder, you know, him being Native American, Hispanic, you know, there's a lot of history that's intertwined when it comes to the black and brown community. Like I mentioned before, Mexico said, nah, no more slavery. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. white folks rebelled against Mexico because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there were slaves going into Mexico trying to get away from slavery. You know what I mean? And Mexico was bringing them in and like, nah, you're not, you're not about to have them back. You know, the second president of Mexico was black. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. Hmm. And, you know, there's there's a lot of narratives and stories and there's a lot of intertwining history um, between our two communities. So that's another reason why we want to focus on the history, because it's like, yo, there's a lot of ignorance. Um, there's a lot of anti-blackness. And, you know, there's a lot of um, we don't we just don't know about our own history, let alone each other. So I feel that um, if we learn more about one another's history along with our own, we could uh, build a greater understanding with these two communities, specifically here in the States. And uh, obviously, if we if we have a centralized digital platform such as this, we can then um, try to repair what slavery severed with Africa. Because a lot of us here, a lot of Africans in this hemisphere, we've been disconnected from the continent. We don't know the indefinite and the richness of the stories on the continent. And they don't know the stories and the struggles that we have to deal with over here, because I'm pretty sure the, the school systems don't teach all that. So, um, so that's that's why we want to start there because I think that's the that's the foundation of a, of a people with their story. 
That is a fact, man. Well said, well said. Um, and there's a quote too, like that says that, you know, until the lion learns to speak, the tales of hunting is always weak. So, you know, like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, you're, you're getting the story of the hunter, you know, of course they got to right. paint the story in a way that, that makes them the hero and not the villain, you know right. what I mean? And not right. tell the reality because the reality is going to paint them to be the villain and you know they don't want that they don't want their kids to see them as the villain as the you know the reality of what really occurred um so right. i think uh what you're doing is what should be done because it's up to us to have an understanding like you know what the schools are not going to tell our story you know mm -hmm. the uh colleges are not going to tell our story you know um the you, it, it has to be up to us um ourselves to learn our story and then to be able to share it with others that are not aware and i think that's exactly what you're doing which is you know kudos to that man because more of us need to be doing it so i hope your, your, your space just blows up to where you can just share as many stories as possible, man. And we could just, you know, automatic, like, you know what? Oh, Ubuntu audio, man. Like, you know, I'm gonna check out this story or that story or that story, but we have everything on there and, you know, we don't have to look elsewhere or to be constantly searching um, to figure out, you know, what the story of this or the story of so-and-so is. So great work, man. Great work. Um, I did want to rewind that. a little bit. I did want to rewind a little bit. I know you are a fellow Haitian, uh, fellow Haitian brother. Yeah, it's like I'm fat. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, man, it's, it's always a pleasure to see, uh, you know, Haitian brothers doing doing amazing things, you know. Um, and the history, man, I feel like the ancestors, you know, the Toussaint, the Dessalines, um, you know, the ancestors of the revolution, um, put that spirit in us, man, to, to, to do, uh, you know, the, the type of things that, that we're doing, man. And, um, what you're doing too, is like, it's revolutionary work, man. So we're continuing the, uh, you know, the, the work that the ancestors did. Um, so I think that's, that's very important. Um, I did want to backtrack too, to kind of get a little bit of your story, man. Um, and what it was like coming up, you know, for you. So if we could just press that rewind button and, um, you know, talk about, a little bit of your childhood and some of your experiences growing up into, you know, that molded you and shaped you into becoming who you are today. So let's, let's, wherever you want to start it off, man, elementary school, you know, pregnancy, wherever. I mean, <laughs> it starts off, honestly, man, it starts off, um, I mean, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm an immigrant. I'm a black immigrant, right? You know, I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Haiti. Mm. Um, I spent time in Guantanamo Bay. Um, as a as a young and trying to get into the country, I still remember Guantanamo Bay. I was like two, three years old at the time. Um, and I uh, right there, can can you like for those that don't know, have no idea, like scratching their head when you mentioned Guantanamo Bay? Can you get into that like a little bit, like what what it what it was, yeah, and what so, purpose to serve? So Guan, Guan, Guantanamo Bay is a piece of Cuba that the U.S. kind of controls, and uh, nowadays that's where they hold the so-called terrorists right and torture them you know basically yep, yep. um but you know and 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 back so back then before there was a word called terrorist um back in the early 90s this was kind of the the epitome of a refugee camp so if you were specifically haitian because i don't know i don't know jamaicans in in jamaican and other caribbean um um, immigrants went through the same process, but I know back in the nine, early nineties when Haitians were kind of trying to come through, we had to go through Guantanamo Bay because back in the early nineties, they tried to say that 
Haitians had AIDS. Mm. And <laughs> go, go look and see articles about it. Um, back in the early 90s, you know, they sent a lot of Haitians back to Haiti because they said, oh, y'all got AIDS. So they sent them all back. Uh, we just managed to kind of, you know, get through. You know, my mom managed to tell them what it was. And, you know, we managed to get through that that process that allowed us to get into the States. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's basically like a holding camp, a, a refugee camp that they use to, you know, filter immigrants out and also now hold terrorists. There's a whole prison down there in Guantanamo now. Mm, that's that's so interesting too, man. The the Haitians with the AIDS thing, because mm-hmm. I had a coworker uh, a couple years ago, um, and you know, this is a white white coworker. He comes up to me. Uh, I think he he expected me shocked or whatever. Like, but he's like, yeah, you know, this this is running joke. I didn't know you were Haitian. This is running joke. Um, you know, like, what do you call a black man with AIDS? And I was like, I've never heard that one. What do you what what is it? He's like Haitian. You know, he starts laughing and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting, man. <laughs> like, that's, that's, um, how, that's how you get slapped in your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm oh. man, the the I always tell people, man, like the school system, <laughs> like I don't whatever school you're at, like the school system is probably one of the racist places that you could be For in. Sure. Um other than the court system. I think the court system got it, but the school system's like mm-hmm. a close second. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. regular school behavior. Regular behavior. Same, same <laughs> damn institutions almost, you know what I mean? Yep. But yeah, going back to your story, man. Um, so you're in Guantanamo Bay. Um, and what was the process like, you know, from there, man? Like those were your earliest memories, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, those, that's the earliest memory that I have of life, honestly, is running around Guantanamo Bay and looking, seeing the green tents, drinking chocolate milk and all that. Those are like, that's the earliest memory of life that I have. And I was like two years old then, you know what I mean? Mm. So um, I don't remember anything. I don't remember being in Haiti. That's Guantanamo Bay is the earliest memory I have of life. Um, so, you know, from there, you know, we got in Florida and uh, growing up in Florida, cause my mom, um, you know, being an immigrant, not have not knowing English, uh, you know, she, um, she had to learn, uh, the process, you know, so, um, when I see some of these, uh, these Mexican migrants out there, you know, you know, and I, I know some black people don't think that immigration is a black issue. It is. There's a lot of black immigrants. And, uh, yeah, we, and we, mom, we spent some time talking about that too, man. Like the, the African immigrants that migrate, um, and cross, you know, the Sahara desert and all that stuff is not, it's not mentioned, man, but you know, there's a right. lot of, there's a lot of that going on in Africa, man, but yeah, go ahead. Man. Right. I just wanted to, to highlight that. No, you good. Yeah. So, so black immigrants is a thing, you know what I mean? And, you know, without getting too much into it, um, I think immigration is and should be a black issue because there's a lot of black people who have immigrant immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, being a black immigrant, you know, my mom was a migrant worker, you know what I mean? She worked in the fields picking the lettuce and picking the tomatoes. Like she did that, you know? And so growing up, I had a very real understanding of what it looked like to work hard. You know what I mean? Um, and so, but also growing up in Florida and this is kind of like parts of what shaped me and my understanding, um, you know, because I was Haitian, unfortunately, a lot of African-Americans in Florida at the time, uh, you know, they had issues with Haitian. They didn't like us, um, because, you know, we dress different because our parents back then would dress us like we're going to church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing back memories right now. (laughs) So, so, you know, you're getting bullied, 
you're getting bullied. You're getting called all types of names. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with no Africans, no continental Africans. So Haitians were the Africans in my, at the time. So you're getting called African booty scratchers. You're getting, you know, you're getting all that. And, um, and, you know, as a kid, after a while, it's kind of like, you know, and you're getting picked on because, you know, you, you talk different, you, you dress different, you know what I mean? And you can't help that. It's not my mm-hmm. fault. We ain't got no money. We just got it. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so, so, you know, you get picked on and, you know, you fight and there was a lot of fights, you know, there's a lot of Haitians that were getting jumped at the time. Um, and, uh, the, it, specifically in Miami and South Florida, uh, you know, Haitians started coming together and they created, you know, Zo Pound, they created the Zo Mafia, they created all these other Haitian groups, um, you know, and that's usually what happens with gangs, right? You know, I yeah. think that's how MS-13 started with the El Salvadorians. El Salvadors are getting beat up and jumped by the Mexicans in LA and, you know, they clicked up all the El Salvadorians and they started MS- MS-13, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's mm. kind of how Zo Pound and all that started, you know, uh, because we were getting picked on. And, yeah, um, it was and bad, so, man. It was bad. Hey, <laughs> it was relentless, man. I don't know if you got it relent. Like it was relentless. Like uh, it's like it was. A, it was a problem. I don't know <laughs> why. I understand why now, but at the time, I didn't understand why. I was like, bro, like I'm black, like y'all. Why y'all? Why y'all, <laughs> y'all beefing with me? Oh, y'all, y'all with me. I'm black, just like y'all. I'm going through the same issues, but you know. At the time, I didn't understand it, but now I understand it's due to the lack of, it's due to the ignorance. Yeah. You know, we're, we're ignorant to one another's history. You know what I mean? Like I said, if I wasn't Haitian, I wouldn't have known about the Haitian Revolution. So I, 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 I can only imagine, you know, the, the, the young brothers and sisters that I was growing up with me at that, that time, they didn't know about the Haitian Revolution or anything yeah. about any contributions that Haiti actually did for this hemisphere or for black people in general in this hemisphere. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm Haitian myself, man. Um, I didn't really, I didn't conceptualize the Haitian Revolution until college, you know? I right. heard, you know, you hear about it like every year for New Year's, you're getting your soup, Jumu, like you're eating your soup, your independence soup, right. but nobody tells right. the story. No one tells the story right. like that. You know what I'm saying? You're just eating your soup and just right. chilling, you know? But right. um, I didn't really learn, learn, learn about it until college, man. And that's nah. being Haitian, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I feel you. And, and that's um, what I'm saying. So, yeah. Now I was gonna say that uh, I think a lot of the 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 you know the the black Americans picking on the Haitians, a lot of that stuff comes from self hate, as well, man. It's like you know, let me find somebody who's lower than me, who who I could get on this that is on a lower platform than me, man, and we just happen to be it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, because Jamaicans were cool at the time. They were cool. They had reggae, Bob Marley. Jamaicans already went through their process, I yeah. think. So they, ain't, they wasn't going through it like that. But um, but I mean, ultimately, you know, like I said, I, I saw it to be ignorant, ignorance. Ultimately, as I got older, as I got older, I realized, okay, we're in a white-dominated institutions that are teaching us about white history for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course, they don't understand black history in in the U.S., let alone black history in the Western Hemisphere or globally. So, yeah, we don't know about one another's history. We don't know our own history. And so, yeah, we beef. We don't see each other as kin. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? We don't see each other as as one family. We see each other as, you know, you know, we see each other as as enemies almost to a certain degree. So, um, you know, that was that was like some of my earlier um, earlier understand and understandings of life. You know, what I mean, didn't understand it at the time. 
but uh but it I, it did end up molding me and creating my my mindset and my understanding because as i said as i grew and got older i started seeing it for what it was but um you know going to boot camp because i got kicked out of school at, at four four years fourth grade um oh, I, wait, wait, time out time out time out what do you do to get kicked out of school in fourth grade? Like, I, you know, I can't funny, imagine. I don't, I don't think I remember what it was, but I just remember having to go to this boot camp. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't it was anything crazy, man. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't look, do that. Look, look I, I mean, come on, yo. How are you kicking a kid out at fourth grade? You're talking about like, what, a four, four-year-old, nine-year-old? What are you yeah. kicking an eight? nine-year-old out of school for, like we can't do nothing you know, but you get up out of it like in right nine like years old period. but but again this is around the time where they was trying to pump ritalin this is around the time they was telling you know these this is around the time where black people were considered predators remember mm, mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. hillary you know what I'm yeah, saying? let's, so let's kick him out before he becomes one of those <laughs> you know <laughs> so so this is around the time that happened so so it's like so we were being considered predators in the 90s Mm-hmm. So any little thing, you know, that you were doing wrong, you getting kicked out, especially if it's a if it's an area where, you know, it's not a lot of black people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So the one or few black kids that may be going to that school, you getting you out of here. So um so getting kicked out of school and going to boot camp, that that had a very, very deep impact on me because it kind of understand I learned shit. Did you understand mm-hmm. what was happening? And you was like, yo, what's going on? Like, like what, were you, what was your thought I process? I understood that I was getting kicked out of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, understood, exactly. I, understood, I understood I had to go to this remedial uh, boot camp type school. But I will say this, it, it turned out to be a blessing because while I was at that school, I learned how to play chess. So mm-hmm. I, played, I learned how to play chess in fourth grade. Uh, there was like this white counselor there because uh, all the students there were like, were, all the students there were black and Puerto Rican. So, wow! What a, what oh, a coincidence! What a coincidence! Right? That, that, <laughs> that was like I think there was like three white. There was like three white kids. There was like three white kids. Mm. Uh, but the majority of us were black and 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 Latino. But um, but yeah. So so there was a white counselor there, and he taught me how to play. Uh, he taught me how to play chess. So, in my opinion, it, it ended up being a blessing because chess, learning how to play chess, and learning how to be strategically, how to think strategic at that early stage of my life ultimately started showing itself and impacting my life in a positive way later on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and even throughout my maneuvers in the hood, you know, I should literally have a felon right now. I should have a few felons. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I was strategic with my moves and, you know, lucky my homeboys, they, you know, they, you know, throw me under the bus or nothing. But, um, but yeah, so, so fourth grade was cool, you know, Learn, learn discipline because you got to be up at four or five in the morning, catch your bus with your boots. You got to make sure your thing is nice and pressed and clean and shined on Fridays for inspections. You know what I mean? So, so it taught me discipline at an early age because I didn't have my dad there. And, um, and it taught me how to play chess. So I, it, it created this, uh, very strategic mentality in my head or introduced this strategic mentality in my head at an early age. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and it, and it was introduced to me in a, in a form of a game, which was dope because I didn't think about it as strategy. I just thought about like, okay, I got to think about what, how I'm going to make my moves. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about a still like a strategy. I didn't know what strategy was at the time. So, uh, so, you know, fast forward, you know, growing up in Orlando because I kept going to this boot camp. My mom, she was tired of it. So she moved us to Orlando. 
And uh, being in Orlando, that's when, you know, you're talking about pre-adolescent, early adolescence, 12, 13 years old. And, uh, you know, I started getting into trouble. You know, in, in, in South Florida, it was just fights, you know, fights, boot camp, whatever. But uh, in, in, in Orlando, that's when I started doing what would be considered criminal activity. But it really is just me being a kid doing stupid mistakes, not having the cognizant understanding because my brain wasn't fully formed to understand the impacts of these actions that I'm doing. Mm. It's just mistakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, these mistakes white kids can get away with. But unfortunately, when you're black, these mistakes get you locked up in prison or murdered. You know what I mean? So, um, so you know, 12, 13, you know, learning, learning. And really not because I was a bad kid, because I was always good in school, but um, really because I was always down for my own boys. I was always loyal. So if they were down for it, they asked me, oh, you trying to do it? Sure, let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> Some people may consider that being a follower, but I I see it as I was just lower to my own boy. You know what I mean? Gotcha. I wasn't gonna leave him hanging. Mm-hmm. So um so so you know I I got caught up in some trouble because of that. I got arrested when I was thirteen. I was twelve going on thirteen when I first got arrested. Mm-hmm. Um and um and I was put on probation at thirteen years old. You know what I mean? Twelve this is for fighting? Nah, this is a uh, this for stealing. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, the the, the blockbuster by the house. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, old school. <laughs> Bringing it back. They kept, they kept getting robbed, and I I ended up being the victim. Uh, that that they wanted to set the set an example. But to be honest with you, I could have got away, but my homeboy got caught, and I felt bad, so I didn't want to leave him, so I stayed. And <laughs> turned out I was the one that got arrested. He got let go. Uh... <laughs> So, so that's what I'm saying. That, <laughs> how do you get let go when you got arrested? Because <laughs> I was doing that soul. He was just with me. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I didn't see it like that. I saw that my boy got caught, so I, I instead of running and leaving him, I, I held, I held back, and um, and uh, yeah. So they ended up pressing charges on me, and I got arrested, and you know, I had to, I had to serve probation time, and um. And during that, during that, you know, doing that probation, if it wasn't for my mom, basically telling the, you know, probation officer that, yo, you just, I just sent him to the store, I, I, my probation would have been violated. Because again, my brain hasn't been fully developed. So in my mind, I'm not even thinking about the consequences of me not being here if this probation officer comes here. In my mind, I'm not even thinking about, you know, what happens if she tests my pee and it's dirty because I'm already smoking weed. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm not thinking about these things. Because my brain isn't fully developed. Right. There's probably no kid thinking about that really, right? <laughs> right. Right. So so and it's and again, I'm not my mother beat my mother I'm not gonna say she beat my eyes, but my mother <laughs> so, so so if you Caribbean, you African, you black, you understand what I'm trying to get at. You know yeah, I mean? but, boy, uh, yeah, boy. Yeah, but, boy. Uh, but um but yeah, so so it's not that she it's not that she uh she wasn't doing what she could. It's just that, you know, you working two jobs trying to make sure you hold down two kids and one of them is a boy and he's out here, you know, um, there's only so much you can do after a while. And yeah, that's know, the I, good old nurture versus nature, man, you know? Right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm blessed that I had a mother like that because she was very patient with me. Cause some kids that I know that were around my age, that were doing the same thing. They, their parents lost patience with them, to be honest with you. Hmm. Mine held on a little longer. And so, um, 
you know, fast forward, she sent me to Haiti. Yeah, <laughs> yo, yo, that's that's you just fast forwarded to like after all that you just yeah. she sent you. Yeah, because I got a I got a probation, right? So I did all my community service hours. I did all my community service hours. And then um and uh she had me write a letter to the judge uh-huh. telling the judge that oh yeah, you know, he's gonna get sent to New Mexico because I had some uncles in New Mexico that were going to college. Um, he's gonna get sent to New Mexico with his uncles. He got done with probation. He's been he's been staying home like you guys wanted him to, because my old girl was holding me down. And um and uh, you know, and the judge, the judge, you know, he's like, Oh, all your probation hours are done, you've been good, you haven't got in trouble, you haven't violated. It looks like your mom got some plans for your future. All right, cool. So he he released me off probation, like I think it was like two or three months earlier than I was supposed to get let off. And uh, and little did I know, my mom was plotting that whole time to send me to Haiti. So there's this run, there's this joke. I think Africans have the same thing where their parents say they're going to send them to Africa. Well, Haitians have something where they say, I'm going to send you to Haiti. Oh, yeah. And the majority oh, yeah. of the Haitian parents don't ever send you to Haiti. The majority of them don't ever do it. <laughs> my mom actually did it. She actually did it, and she lied to me to do it. And she um, planned she it, man. Woof. Bro, she plotted, bro. And again, <laughs> just like me getting kicked out of school, um, in fourth grade and learning chess, it became a blessing to me because I, I had I learned discipline and a strat- strategic mentality. But, um, you know, at the time going to Haiti, I, I was afraid, I to be honest, because in the U.S., they show other countries outside of the U.S., especially black countries, mm-hmm. as, oh, they're poverty, oh, they're criminals, oh, blah, blah. They show them so negative. Yeah, it's just a wasteland. It's just a, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, children, 25 cents a day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they do that stuff. So that's the picture that I have of Haiti, you know. And then, of course, Haitians themselves, again, because of our own ignorance, Oh, voodoo is evil. Voodoo, blah 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 blah. You know, <laughs> our own our own spiritual practices that we brought from freaking Africa, we demonize them now, and now it's used as a scare tactic for kids. So, yep. so all these things in my mind, I'm like, oh shit. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go to Haiti. <laughs> I'm kind of good on that. Uh, but I'll say this: once I got there, and I, you know, I got used to not having running water like that. I got used to not having electricity like that. I got used to not having toilets and stuff like that. When I got, when I started getting used to not having some of the luxuries that we have in this country, really, mm-hmm. I realized just how little we need to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was probably, I was so happy in Haiti. I didn't want to leave. By the time my mom came and got me, I didn't want to leave. Wow. I didn't want to leave. 13, 14? Yeah, I was 13. So I didn't want to leave. I was, how I was about to start, I was like, yo, I'm good. I'm chilling. I'm, I got an ocean right here. I'm chilling. You know what I mean? So um, what that taught me was, one, it was a blessing because it, it, it taught me, and I, I, I think it's important for every single black child to have an experience outside of this country, mm-hmm. specifically in an all-black country, because the energy and the feeling, it's a different type of feeling when you're in a country where everybody is black hmm. different it's a different feeling it's a different energy it's it's different it's different you know what i mean not only just that but it gives you a look outside of this country to understand like yo we don't really need all of this to be happy 
and to our and to be honest with you, a lot of this is, comes to our detriment of our happiness. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it taught me that you don't need a lot to be happy. It taught me how great it feels to be around black and all black people. Um, and it just made me look at the U.S. different because it's like, okay, so y'all just y'all just talking shit about all these other countries so that we don't go to them. <laughs> you know that is mean? a fact, man. That is a fact because you know you 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 hear stories all the time about people that travel you know, immigrate into the United States and they just get a culture shock here. Like, cause they get the same stories of how wonderful the United States is and these other mm-hmm. places, even Europe or wherever. And they're like, yo, now I'm going back home. Like, this is not it at right. all. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> they deal right. with racism now for the first time. <laughs> like they're like, nah. Yeah, listen. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now you got to deal with different types of problems. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, so again, it, it was, it was in my mind at the time, it, it, it was something that I found, you know, bad, but ultimately it, it, it brought me, it, it was a blessing, a blessing in disguise. Uh, Cause it taught me lessons that I, I again, helped mold me and build me into who I was today. Gotcha. Now, I've so, always, go ahead. Now I was going to say, so like, uh, you know, yeah, when, when your mom came back and got you, you didn't want to come back, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing like you came back, right? You came back eventually, right? right. Um, yeah, I, did you like, did you take on a whole new leaf, man? Like, did you become, you know, a completely different person now that you had these, yo, this awakening moment in Haiti and you, do you know what I mean? Like, you, <laughs> so, so for, 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 for like the first five months or so, I think it was, cause I was out there, I think I told it like eight months or so, for like the first five months or so, or four months, I forget how long it was. My mom had sent me to like this Christian school. So I read a lot of the Bible at the time. So I'm 13 and I'm reading a lot of the Bible. You know what I mean? I, I look, I know the Bible very well. I, I don't consider myself Christian. Um, I believe in God. I, I'm very spiritual, but I, I'm not Christian, but I know the Bible. I know it mm-hmm. very well. You know what I mean? So, um, so then that was the time that I had a chance to learn it because wake up, pray, go to school, pray, you know, and everything, everything was, bible oriented even the lessons you right. over here counting math you counting sheep the lamb <laughs> you know what i mean so, so it was all it was all bible oriented so mm-hmm. um so when i get did get back even when i you know when i ended up staying with my uncle for a few uh few months before my mom ended up coming to get me you know i was still because again there's no tv there's no tv there's hardly any radio so for free time when i had free time leisure time i just read the bible you know what I mean? So, um, so I got really, really close, um, to God, I guess at that time in my life. And, um, and it, it did, it did, it did change me in a way. So when I got back, you know, it's still my same homeboys. Um, I'm over here telling them they need to go to church. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm telling them to church. My mom bringing me to, to the Haitian churches. I'm giving, t- uh, Tim Wanyai's, which is testimony. You know what I mean? I'm over here <laughs> testimony and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, uh, but I'm still hanging out with my same homeboys and they over here like, yo, Lou, you sound like my mom. Chill out, bro. So, uh, <laughs> so like within two weeks, I was right back to my old self, my yeah. old way. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my mom didn't keep me there long enough for me to like start turning up like I was. So, uh, literally within like, within two weeks and a half of me being back, she sent me to New Mexico. She wow. sent me to New Mexico. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I didn't spend that much time when I got back. It was like 
you're back, you're gone. Um, and, and again, I hated New Mexico because it was a culture shock. It was, it's nothing like Florida, nothing mm. like Florida. But because it's nothing like Florida, it was perfect for me. I didn't see it at the time because I hated it. There was no <laughs> Haitian, there was no Caribbean people, there was hardly any black people. Um, and I didn't like it. And, mm. um, but, but again, it, it allowed me to have something to compare my previous life to. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, it, and it, also, too, like, uh, before you even get into New Mexico, just to paint a picture of what was happening in Florida, because people might be wondering, mm-hmm. like, well, was he just hanging out with his friends? Like, what, what was he getting in trouble about? Like, these guys are just hanging out, not doing, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so can you paint a right. picture of, like, what was happening in your, in your neighborhood, oh, like, at the time, man? Yeah. Like, what was your at, mom stressing out first, about? Listen, listen, listen. This, this is these are these are things that we did a long time ago. I'm not this person, obviously anymore. But uh, bro, we was, I think we were we were committing grand theft auto. We were stealing cars. Mm. We were stealing cars. We were we were. <laughs> this would be I guess I think this would be called um, uh, breaking an entry. We was breaking into people's homes and stealing their stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like this is I'm I'm 13 years old. You know what mm. I mean? And, I stole my first. I stole my first car at thirteen. You know what I mean? We're stealing cars. We're 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 breaking into people's homes when they're not there, so we can take their stuff. We're smoking weed. We're skipping school. We're drinking. You know what I mean? We're having skip parties. You know what I mean? So like, you know, some of us because some of our some of my homeboys were I was I was the youngest, so a lot all of them were older than me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some were like a year or two year older than me, but then there was some that was four or five years older than me. And, um, you know, we, we was just, that was what we was doing. Um, it wasn't like we was doing anything like crazy, but I mean, still in the car, that's Grand Theft Auto. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude? Yeah, not we all seen no New Jersey drive, car. man. <laughs> They're not catching no black kid with a stolen car and giving you joyride. No, you get in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not going to get the luxury of getting joyride like Billy. No, you getting you don't get Grand Theft Auto as a black kid. That's At least fact. that's my understanding. So um, so yeah, these are felons. These are felonies. <laughs> these are mm-hmm. felonies. You know what I mean? So um, so that's what we were doing. My mother, of course, didn't know none of this, but uh, but she understood that this wasn't the right environment for me. So she sent me to um, New Mexico, and while I was there, like I said, it it, it allowed me a an ability to kind of slow down a bit. Um, cause again, I was never a bad kid. I was just always loyal, um, to my friends. So, um, so I was good in school. Um, you know, I may have acted up, acted up a little bit, but you know, what kid doesn't at 13, 14 years old. Right. So, um, so, so in New Mexico, you know, culture shock, trying to learn the difference. But while I was in New Mexico, I started, this is my first time really getting to understand the Mexican and Native American um, story now. So I'm 14 years old and I'm learning more about these different cultures that I didn't necessarily grow up with like that. And, um, and what I saw at that early age was like, there was a, I already saw a lot of similarities in our cultures then. You know what I mean? I saw a lot of the similarities with the, with their, you know, with the, their abuelita, their grandmothers. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, I saw a lot of the same similarities with grandmothers in the South or grandmothers in, in Haitian grandmothers. I saw very similar family structures, family dynamics, home structures. You know what I mean? When you have three generations 
of a family in the same home. You got the grandmother, the mother, and the children in the same home. I started seeing those similarities. And I was like, I didn't really, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me like that. I'm just, I, it, it just was familiar to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, you know, that, that's just how I learned. But again, I hated New Mexico. I wanted to leave and I did. So after a year, I told my uncle, I'm out. I'm not coming back to this place. I hate this place. <laughs> I'm going back to Florida. Uh-huh. Cause what the hell am I doing in this freaking desert? So, um, but, but again, it was a blessing because me being able to have that, that, that screen, that snapshot of life and understand how it felt to be a normal high school student. Right. Like we were doing normal shit, like going to school, going to class, doing your homework, going to little basketball, football games. Like that was normal high school stuff. I wasn't doing none of that in Florida. so so um so yeah bro so so i get back and um and uh you know i'm 16 now and we're turning up things are getting more real so now it's armed robbery Hmm. now it's selling drugs now it's not just skipping school but getting suspended for school from from school for for 10 days more than that now it's shit why am i even going to school because i'm hanging out i'm making money now it's you know like i said now it's 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 the the type of things that were being done were being elevated hmm. so now um you know this is you talking about robbery like I'm, I'm, I, I mean i'm not gonna go too much in detail but yeah these are the things we got it we got it. <laughs> you know what i mean uh-huh. and um and so but because i had because I um, because I had a different life in New Mexico, I had a benchmark now to compare the life that I was living now to being back in Florida. And I remember I was smoking and I was like, I thought about it. I was like, damn, when I was in New Mexico, I didn't smoke weed. When I was in New Mexico, you know, my friends were positive, even though they were there for the same reasons I was, because they were getting in trouble in the city that they were in. And they, they their parents came to New Mexico for the same reason. But we were all trying to be better. Mm-hmm. I had a lot more positive black role models around me. My two uncles were in college. My cousin was in college. Other friends of theirs that were black were in college or in school or doing things that were productive, positive young black men um, mm-hmm. that were a little older than me, but not so older than me that I couldn't could relate to them. Mm-hmm. They were going to parties and having little girls, but they were going to school. They were doing things that, you know, you, you would see in a movie. Right. So, so being around dad, being around my friends who were also doing positive things, I had a benchmark. And when I looked at what I had there and I compared it to the life I was living here, where you're talking about poverty, you're talking about, you know, social economic issues, you're talking about the social pressures of being a high school student in an, in the, in the, what's considered a hood. You know, you're talking about gang violence and not gang violence, but gun violence. You're talking about, you know, you're talking about all these type of things, all this pressure, all this negativity in these environments. And you're talking about no black positive role, role models. There's no black men that are positive role models. All my role models were out here doing things. They were selling. They was, you know what I mean? They were committing certain crimes. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. That's, that's, that's all the black role models, quote unquote, that were in the neighborhood. So... Right. You don't have none of that. You have all the social pressure. You have all this negativity. You have all this poverty. You have, you know, these sexual, social economic issues. Uh, yeah, there's no hope, ultimately. So it's like, yo, I'm going to just grind it out. 
I'm going to just do what it do. I'm going to just, you know, and again, I'm, my brain is still not fully developed. I'm mm-hmm. only 16. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so a few things happened. And when we, when I was in Florida, you know, my boys were getting shot at, including myself, uh, because again, that's when, at least in my neighborhood, that's when guns started getting introduced to the, to the situations that were happening. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, it was at 16. That's when guns started getting pulled out. And I mean, that's when people started selling harder drugs. At first it was weed, but now people are selling crack. People are selling heroin. And I mean, now you start to see people able to take their drug money and buy cars, cash. You know what I mean? So money started flowing. Now, you know, there's murders happening in the neighborhood. People are getting murdered. People are getting downed. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And because of that, now you got F- now you got detectives coming through. Now you got the police making the block hot. And now because the block hot, you can't really sell your drugs like that. So all these things started happening around the same time. And uh, my mentality started even venturing in areas where I never thought I'd even think about. You know what I mean? So um, so with all these things happening, I had to tell my mom, like, listen, mom, um, I need to leave. I need to go back to New Mexico. Because if I don't leave, I am not going to make it. You are going to lose me. You're going to lose me. I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to get killed. You're going to lose me. I'm not going to make it. And I was telling her all this in Creole. Mm. I mean, so I was like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. You're going to lose me. I'm not going to make it. Because I, I, I understood what was happening. You know what I'm saying? I understood what was going on. I saw what was happening. And I was like, yo, because I had a benchmark. Right. I knew this wasn't normal. <laughs> mm-hmm, this, ain't mm-hmm. normal. this ain't normal, bro. Like, yeah, that, that's mature too, man, to, to look at it like that and to be able to have a conversation with your mom. Like, yo, I got to get up out of here. That's a mature. Yeah. I know you, you, you were talking about not being mature in your thinking, but I think that's like an initial sign of you re, like gaining maturity in your thinking for you to realize like, you know what, this ain't it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no future in this, you know? Right. But it's only because it's only because I had something to benchmark it. It was three things. I had something to benchmark it. I lived in New Mexico. I lived in New Mexico as a high school student. I mm-hmm. saw the life I was living. It was boring, yes, but it was normal or quote unquote normal. I didn't have I didn't I wasn't dealing with some half of the issues, right? Right. Uh, the second thing was as I was getting prepared to drop out of school because I had got suspended for ten days and I didn't go to school for ten days because I was selling. And, um, you know, the only times I did go was because my homeboy, they was beefing with some bloods that were, they were, they weren't even really bloods. They, Florida don't got gangs. These dudes got jumped into that game from some dudes from New York that came down, right? So now they <laughs> bloods, right? So, uh-huh. uh, so, so my boys are beefing them. So the only, only reason I was ever going to school around that time is because, yo, I, I'm going to pull up to the high school, make sure my homeboys know that I got you. And if anything get popping, it is what it is. Let's get it. You know what I mean? So that's really the only reason I was going to school is to see my homeboys and make sure, you know what I mean, everything everything was everything. So I remember one time I was I was walking and I, I still thank him to this day, my my homeboy Lee. Um he he was he was heavy in the dope game. Um, you know, he had he already had a fella. He was nineteen, I was sixteen. He had just bought a brand new uh brand new all white Nissan exterior, I think it was. And uh, he saw me walking because I was walking to school. I had just made my serves. I just made my little money for the day. And I was like, all right, cool. I got my sack sold. I'm, let me go to school. Let me go see what's going on. And uh, he saw me walking. He picked me up. He was talking to me. You know, he's Haitian too. And he was talking to me. He was like, you know, 
He's like, look, what you doing, bro? I was like, I don't know, bro. I don't even think I want to go to school no more. And he was like, he was like, um, bro, you tripping? Hey, you better stay your ass in school. I was like, for what? You think I'm making money out here? Why am I gonna stay in school for what? Mm-hmm. And um, and he was like, bro, I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm 19, bro. It's too late for me. I got, I got a felon, so I got to do what I got to do, bro. But if I could do it all over again, I would have stayed in school. And it that him saying that hit me because he was my older homeboy. Mm-hmm. And and to hear him say that, it made me, it dawned on me a little bit, even though it was brief, but it dawned on me like, damn, like, bro, you, you the, you one of the baddest of the bad out here. And you saying that you would have stayed in school if, if it wasn't too late for you, that kind of, you know, that, that sat with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sat with me. You know I mean, I still was think, contemplating dropping out, but that, that sat with me. And uh, so it was those, like I said, it was that. The benchmark, him saying that, the things that were happening in the neighborhood, all of that came together. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, I got to go. I got to go. So um, so that, that's what led me to tell my mom that because all those things was happening, you know. And so, so yeah, I ended up leaving. And thank God I did. And thank God my cousin let me go there. And thank God he forced me to play football uh, because if he hadn't forced me to play football, he, was, he wasn't going to accept me to go back. But because he allowed me, he... he because he allowed me to go back with the contingent that I would play football, I met my co-founder of Ubuntu Audio. Wow. We play football together. Man. Yeah. The way the universe works, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's crazy, man. It just it just all worked out just in the nick of time for you, man. Like every oh, single bro. thing you mentioned, man. Like, man, that's 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 an amazing story, man. Um, so yeah, so you you uh, you know, you 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 go to uh to New Mexico and um you finish off high school there I'm guessing drama free yeah you know drama free lifestyle I mean, over that there drama. that was some drama but it's not like Florida you right. know what I mean they it's not continuous in, in New Mexico in New Mexico they were still fighting they weren't trying to shoot in mm-hmm. Florida they ain't fighting they shooting so you think you fighting but you gonna get shot later <laughs> you know what I mean? Got you. Got I, I you. lost. I lost some. I lost some friends that way. That got murdered because they thought they was just gonna fight and that was gonna be it. And they ended up getting murdered. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sad, um. Man. So 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 that's how it goes. So, but in New Mexico, they still fighting. They at that time they're not thinking about shooting. They're not even contemplating shooting. They still using their hands. So you know the little small little drama that I did get into. It was it was nothing because it was just a fight. Mm. You know what I mean? Got you know you. I mean? And I'm used to fighting because I fought all through elementary. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. All right. So just, uh, you know, your fo- you know, uh, I don't know what football was like for you down there. Like if it was like if, you, you know, you guys did a lot with football, but eventually, I guess uh, you're, you're about to graduate. Did it dawn on you that you really wanted to fulfill your, fr- you know, one of your guys wishes and and pursue college? Like, was that like in your mind, like your senior year that you wanted to pursue going to school? So what was that process like for you? Um, and then, you know, what, what was your experience like once you got to school? Yeah. So, so again, going back to my, my point about, and I'm, and I'm not going to lie to you. Like I can speak from a lot of different experiences because I went through it. So I can, I understand the importance and the value of having positive black role models in a young black man's boys or girls life Mm. because because I had my cousins who was in college, because I had my uncles who were in college, because I had even my aunt who went to school 
in uh at, in Florida State in Tallahassee. I knew she was in college. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. went to college. And so and in in the Haitian household, I think that's black households in general, education is important. Mm-hmm. Education is important, especially for Haitian, especially for my mother who's an immigrant who didn't have the opportunity to get have free cop free school. Right. I mean, I remember, I remember, I was complaining to her about my student loans, and she's like, "Yeah, I wish I, I wish I had an opportunity to get student loans." I mean, I, <laughs> That's I, like I you can't tell me nothing. I was like, I was like "Damn, <laughs> how, do you, how do you how do you argue that, right?" Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so so because I had them as my role models, it was the natural transition was to go to college. Mm-hmm. And because New Mexico, the way that they are, the way, at least La Cruz in New Mexico, where I was at, the way that that town was, it's a very small, it's a small town, right? So it's a very family oriented, you know, it's, 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 it's a town. It holds down the people that are in that town. So even, I mean, I learned the whole FAFSA process and all that, but, um, but I was still helped and guided in a way to, to go. And, you know, Going back to my whole strategic mindset that I learned in fourth grade, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to go back to Florida. But again, I strategically thought about it. I was like, okay, well, if you go back to Florida, you still know the same people. You still got the same homeboys and ain't like much changed. So if you go back, are you really going to be able to do what you got to do? Number two, if you go back, you're going to be paying out-of-state tuition. Florida ain't cheap. You're going to be paying an arm and a leg going back to Florida because you ain't a resident anymore. So I was like, shit, I'm not going to stay here. I got a job. I got my, I got my cousin and uncle here. Right. I'm already here. It's easier for me to focus here. Shit, let me just stay here. <laughs> so I just stayed and went to New Mexico State. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and 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 it helped that um I ended up I ended up walking on to the football team because again, small town. The coaches knew my uncle and they they were looking at me when I was playing high school football there. So you know. They wanted to. They wanted to highlight a um, a hometown you know, football player. You know what I mean. So, so I think that was a part of the reason why they allowed me to walk on too. And you know, I was pretty decent. Okay. All right. What uh, what position did you play? Corner. 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 Okay. All right. Getting your Revis on, huh? Revis Island over there, huh? Hey right. man, look, boy, <laughs> I, was, I, I was I was all right. I wasn't I wasn't as cold as some of them boys in Florida, but I was all right. For New Mexico, I was that. <laughs> well, that's 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 what's up, man. Um, so what was what was your experience like, you know, in college? Was this was this the beginning of you thinking about a Bantu, or was you know what what was your whole you know experience like there in New Mexico? So in New Mexico, that's when I started because I've I've always been a conscious person. Thank you. To, I think Tupac because Tupac was the first person to be real with you that introduced me to consciousness mm-hmm. in a way through his music. Likewise, so I, yeah. I was always, I was always socially conscious because of that. You know, what I mean, I always listened to Nas. I was always always listening to you know some of these um some of these songs. Even Trick Daddy with some of his songs down south, people won't understand. But Trick Daddy be talking about some real stuff mm-hmm. that be going on in the hood. I mean, when he say thug thug don't live that long, that's a real talk. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. real. So um so. So I always had a conscious mindset and I always wanted to learn and grow more. And that's what happened when I was in college. I had the opportunity to start consuming more understanding education and started learning more about black history, just black history in the States. This is not the post black history or pre slavery. This is, I just want to learn more about black history in general. Cause I'm like, bro, like I don't know about enough about it. And just 
learn about the political issues that happened, mm-hmm. learn about the political issues that had affected us as a black people, learn about like the economics of it all because I'm a business major and that's just important in general to understand. And so, um, so I, I started learning all that, but you know, to be honest with you, because I still had that hood mentality, I was trying to get some money. So I was like, yo, let me go ahead and get this marketing degree. Let me go ahead and get this management degree because I'm, I need to get this money. You know what I mean? Because I remember, um, I remember uh, Eddie Murphy was in that movie Boomerang. He was a marketing person. Yeah. He looked like he had money. He, he looked like he had money. So I was like, all right, so money to market. Cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Classic, classic. Yeah. Facts. So, um, so, so that was that was the mentality was like, yo, I'm gonna get this money, and but I'm gonna still learn and grow my understanding of this world because. You know, I've I've always been socially conscious. I've always been into philosophy. I've always been into these type of things, and so um, I would learn them. I would research them. I would educate myself more and more on them, and uh, that's kind of where a lot of my mentality, my ideology, started forming. Mm. Got you, got yeah. you. You know, it's funny too. Um, I remember in a previous interview, you mentioned that you know you went to Booker T. Washington Middle School. And you didn't know who Booker T. Washington was until after high school. <laughs> I was like, wow. That, this, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. How is it that we have a Booker T. Washington middle, Booker T. Washington high? We got all these different freaking Frederick Douglass elementary. We got all these, bro, we got freaking, um, uh, in Florida, we got Bethune-Cookman University. I never, I never knew Bethune-Cookman was a, I never knew she was a woman. Mm. That was historical. Like we got all this history right in front of our face, and um, I'm not taught about it until I get to university level. Makes no sense. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. So so yeah, that that drives me. Oh man! All right. So you get your degree in New Mexico, and um, what was what was it like for you there, man? Did you think that you was gonna be like in the corporate world working and and doing everything from there, or did did you know, you start thinking about a band too. Like when, when did that phase start happening? So when I graduated from, from college at University of Texas, El Paso, I graduated knowing that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial because I knew I didn't want to work forever. Um, I knew I wanted to make some money. Um, and I knew that I wanted to make, I want to do something that was going to impact uh, our society in a positive way, specifically my community. I mean, I joined, I joined the fraternity Phi Beta Sigma for that same purpose. You know what I mean? I wanted to, I, our motto is a uh, culture for service, service for humanity. And so I always had a heart to help, you know, help my people, help our society, help it grow. Cause a lot of the stuff that we have issues with, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, why are we beefing about this little, why are we still here? Like, why are we still here? Like, we have bigger fish to fry. We're still dealing with this, really? So um, so I always knew I wanted to do something, um, but I didn't know what. And I didn't know what until I mentioned earlier, um, started my career, listened to audiobooks about entrepreneurship and stuff, wanted to start listening to more audiobooks based on Black history prior to slavery and uh, not being able to find them. And that's when the idea just dawned on me. I was like, this is perfect. This is a way to not only build a platform that is owned by us, because why don't we have our own? Um, and two, this is a way to easily access the literature without having to read it, because mm-hmm. I know my homeboy, because when I thought about it, 
I'll think about myself. I'll think about myself. I'll be honest. I was like, yo, I don't want to read this 600-page book. I'd rather listen to it. Um, number two, um, I know a lot of my homeboys, they're not going to read back home. They're not reading these books. They'll, they'll listen to it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking about, damn, when I was on the block hustling, making my little bread, if I would have just been listening to like some audiobooks about black history, about myself, maybe I would have looked at myself differently at that time, and I would have kind of changed my mentality a little bit earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these are all the things I was thinking about when I started thinking about the creation of this idea. And um, and also, I was like, yo, not only that, but we have been so disconnected from Africa. We don't know story. We don't know. We don't know anything about Africa, bro. I speak nope. two European languages. I speak French. Some Haitians gonna say I'm fronting, but Creole is, <laughs> is French. Damn it! <laughs> speak French. Yeah, Asian people like you know, we know, but there's some African word dialect in the in the French. On, you know, bro. we broke it down. That, that and, thing is, you know, predominantly French <laughs> it may be spelled differently you may say it a different word but it's predominantly French so you speak French and you speak English I speak two European based languages I have no idea or understanding of any African based tribal languages and I'm African that doesn't make sense mm. <laughs> that doesn't make sense so we've been severed from, from our culture mm-hmm. right so I was like yo this would be a perfect way for us to build that understanding and build those bridges again um and again there's a lot of history in the caribbean that nobody knows about like that's a fact and 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 i'm glad you mentioned that because um even like myself i explore a lot of black history personally as well and Mm -hmm. a lot of the titles that you know i see like i'll see on a on a audiobook platform uh the black history stuff is always black American history. You know what I'm saying? And then right. you won't vent, they won't venture off too much into Africa and the diaspora or, um, or the Caribbean, man. So I think that you're spot on with that, man, that those things are hard pressed <laughs> to find. And if you do find it, it's like, it's like in the, on an Island by itself, like pun intended. Right. You know? <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause that's how you keep a people continue continuously disconnected from one, from one another. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. You don't you don't tell them about how you don't give them all the stories and narratives and link them and link all their connectivity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass was the, was an ambassador to Haiti. You know, it's you funny. I, mean? I didn't know that until I heard you say that in a previous interview. I'm like, yo, I, how how did I know that? <laughs> I didn't know that, saying. man. This is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. There is Haitians founded Chicago, mm. like. You know what I'm saying? Like a Haitian side. So there's the connectivity of our history. It has always been there. Yes, sir. And, I, and I, I'm going to add one. I'm gonna, you gave us two. I'm going to add one. Um, previous program, Mr. Peter Westbrook, uh, one of the mm. best American fencers of all time, black male. Um, his, his, his teacher told him that the greatest fencer of all time was a Haitian man. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that was a part of Napoleon's army, you know, just taking taking dudes down, man. Like and it and not fencing as a sport, but fencing to to the death. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude was a problem. Yeah. Like, you know. And that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I didn't but know that either fun. until you know we that's, had a conversation. With all the history that would connect us as a people if we knew it and understand it. Like, there's a lot of rich history in the U.S. that we don't know alone. That's mm-hmm. so much history in the U.S. that we don't know by itself. Let alone all the history in the Caribbean. I can guarantee you a majority of people don't even know how a majority of the Caribbean islands got their independence. Hmm. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like just simple stuff like that we don't be knowing. You know, yeah, this, this is making me excited to look into the Bantu man and just check these stories out, man. Because I'm telling you, that because that's what I'm saying. We need to know these things. Yeah, man, and, and we're getting excited like talking about this, like just and we have a basic understanding. Like I can imagine the kid that discovers this stuff for the first time, like the excitement that you get discovering that you know the best fencer of all time was a Haitian man, or um, you know like Haitian people responsible for Chicago, and um, you know just some of the things that you mentioned prior as well. Like you know there, there's excitement and self esteem boosting. Uh, yeah. you know, information from this stuff, man. You, you know what's what's crazy is I had a narrator. She was out of she was based out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was narrating this book called Sukiyan because I I didn't know, but in the Caribbean, and this is how African culture is so connected, bro. I didn't know, but in the Af- in the Caribbean, in Haiti, they have this thing called Lugaouch, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Lugaouch. sir. Lugaouch, the Lugaouch gonna eat you, right? Uh-huh. Asian culture is that. That same concept of that shape-shifting demon-like right. being, they ensure that it's called the Sukuyant, mm. right? And it's the same type of mystical being, science fictional being, or you know whatever, but it's, it's called Sukuyant in Trinidad. Mm. In Jamaica, it's called Old Hag or Old Hig, one one of the two, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is the same bean, and but they call it different things in different islands. Right. Which goes to show the connectivity of our culture, right? So I had right. the narrator was reading this book to us, to her. Uh, she was narrating this book for us, and I remember talking to her, and she was like, "Yo, I love this book. It's teaching me so much about things that I didn't know. That I sat down at the at the table with my daughters, and my whole fa- and my family, my husband, whatever, and they had four daughters, and mm-hmm. they had a conversation with their daughters about the book." They had like a little round table conversation about the about what they were listening to in the book. And it wasn't just about that. It was about, you know, how they always try to demonize black women specifically. But um, but they started having these conversations and um and it hit me. It it, it touched me so much because I was like, this is what I'm this is what I'm doing this for. This is what I'm doing this for. Because mm. this adult is gonna listen to this book, it's gonna feel impacted is going to learn something new and they're going to take that information that knowledge and they're going to teach it to their kids they're going to educate their children and we're going to be able to be educated in a way that we've never been educated before because we never had anything like this we didn't have technology back in the 90s like this now mm-hmm. we do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah man, well said, man absolutely and even um with your story what you're talking about with um the lugawu and the uh you know the 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 similar monsters in different cultures same thing with uh voodoo like i know we were talking about that a little bit earlier you know you go to um different parts of the world um i think what, what puerto ricans call it santaria or something like that um, you know it's 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 so similar you know and we don't even know that mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, That's man. The same thing. They got their little, they little uh, Saint Mary little candle, everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the importance of history. So, uh, yeah, man. So, walk us through the Ubuntu process. Like, so you you you're having this stuff in your head now that you can't find the audiobooks that you need, mm-hmm. which I can definitely 
relate to that. Um, so you can't find them. Um, and you're like, yo, I want to start this thing up here now. Um, I'm sure you didn't know like anything about the audiobook industry or how to even begin. So how did you gain that information? And then when did you become confident enough to be like, yo, let's get this work. Let's, you know, let me talk to my people. Let me put, you know, start doing these things and what exactly, you know, cause I think um, sometimes like when we create, you know, and we, we share our stories of the creation, like we sometimes miss the creation process. And I think that does mm-hmm. help people that are creators or thinking about creating something like what the creation process was and, you know, how did it start from the idea into the real thing? So can you walk us through from the, you know, you, you told us most of the idea. Now, how did it transition into the real thing? What was the work involved into like what we, what we're getting right now from um, Abantu? Right. So it was, there was a three year, there was a three year point where um, a lot of that was just learning, man. Um, so, like, number one, because I'm I'm a very action oriented type of person, I I can I will talk myself out of an idea because I'm logical. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was so passionate about this that I just wanted to go. So as soon as I thought about it, I think that was like in April. We got the LLC. We filed for the LLC like in June and we got it in August. Mm-hmm. That's how fast we moved as far as like making, uh, having the actual business. Right. So, um, so we went through, uh, we went through, I, I mean, again, I don't know if it's college education. I don't know if it's the internet, whatever, just being commonsensical. I don't know, but I looked it up. I was like, yo, okay, I don't know any of this paperwork type of stuff. So how the hell do I do all this legal paperwork stuff? And, um, and I found some, I found some companies like LegalZoom, for example, that would do file all the LLC stuff for us. And yeah, they pay, they charge us a lot more for it than us doing ourselves. But when you're ignorant, you don't know what to do, <laughs> you know, pay a little more. So yeah. You, I mean, you're saving you know, a, a load of time, right? <laughs> word. So, so, you know, we just, we just ran with it like that. And like I said before, you know, I reached out to my partner, um, Alejandro, he was, um, he's a software engineer. He's native American and Mexican. I told him like, yo, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I want to do for the African diaspora, but I also understand the importance and the need uh, for this type of platform for your community as well, the brown community, native community, because their stories haven't been told. Think about it like this. We live on Native American land, and we don't even know what tribe usually that whose land is you, this once was. Hmm. We don't even know that, right? A lot of people That's don't even know there are tribes. It's just like Native Americans, you know? The Indians, right. that's <laughs> you know, that's sick that we can be on people's land that was that was taken from them and they were slaughtered because of it, and we don't even know right. the tribe that whose land is right. And then, and then, sick. the the no, the sick, the 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 also the sick part is that we can go into these schools and the schools can use you know the mascots, the red in the red Native Americans and all this type of right. stuff, man. I'm just like, yo, what? Right. Like, as a Native American person, like, you know, and you know your history, like, what kind of trauma is it to walk into, like, a school or a college or a professional in, in a facility and to see, like, a red Native American mascot or something right. from your culture that's being used as a means of um, you know, capital, like, to, to capitalize off of, man, it's, it's wild, you know? It, 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 it reminds me of blackface almost. It's exactly blackface, but there's nobody around to say, and Native Americans do, uh, you know, speak out against it. They protest against it. They're fighting against it, but you really rarely see them like, you know, 
you know, on the news talking about it or anything like that. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, Bomani Jones, man. He had a, uh, I don't know if you, you remember, like years yeah, ago. Like you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were up. So just real quick, uh, listeners that, that don't know, man, uh, check out Bomani Jones. He had a shirt that um, it said the Caucasians, like the, uh, you know, the the team, the Indians, that's, that's the name, right? The baseball team. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he had the Caucasians mm-hmm. and people were livid. They were upset. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is disrespectful. It's racist. It's this and that and the third. And then, you know, same day, he was like, those are the same people that are saying all this stuff. How do how do mm-hmm. we just say that for the Caucasians? But when, when I switch it around and I'm wearing a red Native American man, no one has a problem with it. <laughs> you know? Like, right. That part. And it's like, that it's, yeah, that part, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same issue. And that's what I was saying. Like, I feel like, I mean, granted, we, we obviously, black people, we have a very different struggle because we were enslaved. I mean, we all know that. So mm-hmm. our struggles aren't going to be, they're not going to marry each other exactly. But we have very similar struggles. You know what I'm saying? We do. Um, Native Americans were, were murdered. You know what I mean? They were, it was genocide. And what's crazier is that we have a book that we're hoping to come out here soon. It's called Apartheid in Indian Country. Right. Mm. And like the first the first few pages of that book or chapters of that book, you learn how Native Americans and black Africans at the time who were enslaved, they were down for one another. But Europeans, these white folks, they were fearful because you got to think about it. This Native Americans were still very heavily populated when we were enslaved. Right. Right. So between the African population and Native American population, we outnumbered Caucasians, hmm. right? So they had to go back to their number one strategy, which is divide and conquer. This is their number one strategy. It has worked for centuries. It's <laughs> divide and conquer. If it wasn't for divide and conquer, the Spaniards would have never be- beat the Aztecs in Mexico. But they leveraged the Native Americans that were beefing with the Aztecs to snitch on them to let help them get into their little you know pathways or whatever to learn about their his culture and all that and that's how the Spaniards were even able to beat the Aztecs mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Native American other Native American tribes that didn't like the Aztecs the Spaniards probably wouldn't have been able to beat the Aztecs because that's how dominant of a tribe that they were you know what mm-hmm. I mean so same thing in you know in the southeast when when you had these 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 Native Americans, you know, we got along. You know what I mean? We were going through similar struggles. But the Caucasians obviously divided and conquered. You know what I mean? They divided us. They kept us separate. They didn't want us to be together. You know what I mean? They would tell one one group and the other group this, and they'll tell the other group that. They'll stay away from them, them them N-words, stay away from them because blah, 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 blah. You know, they're beasts, blah, 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 blah. You you guys are, you know, you know, because that self-hatred is real, right? You guys are, you got to civilize. You're more civilized than them. They're animals, <laughs> right? So, so yeah. the divide and conquer tactic as, as always. So I, I understand it. And luckily my, my co-founder, he understands as well because his, his, his father taught him about Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party. And he, he's very well read and very well knowledgeable about these things and these struggles. So uh, so when, when him and I got together and I introduced the idea, he immediately jumped on it. And so with his software background, my vision and my business on understanding, um, that's kind of how we, we went about doing it. We had a third member who was supposed to be the audio engineer, but, you know, he didn't want to play a part of it 
part of it at the time. So then I became not only the business person, but also the audio engineer. Wow. So I had to learn, I had to learn how to produce. So I've never learned, I never did anything production based. So I had to learn how to produce. I had to learn how to edit. I had to learn which, which software does what I had to go buy software. So that, that equated to no sleep pretty much. <laughs> Bro, I bought it, you know what I mean? And not only just that, but it's like, when you get started, it's like, okay, where, where the hell do you go to find black stories? Cause I feel, I, I mean, I mean, excuse me, black voices. Cause I wanted to make sure that the books that we were going to produce and narrate, it was going to be the, the person who's, history is affected that's the person that's narrating so man i i, I want to stop and pause and just say thank you for that because um i don't know what book it was like there was a book i was like i was like oh man like i was excited that it was it was on this uh platform and i believe it was like check onto the it might have been civilization of barbarism or um might have been that might have been that so i'm listening to it and it's a white guy and i'm like Man, this is this is just killing my experience. <laughs> this just okay. I can't even I couldn't even, as excited as I was to hear it and to like listen to the story because I just never had an opportunity to to read it, like to read the book. But I've listened to so many lectures about it, I've listened to everything about it. I'm just like, yo, I gotta get to it, I gotta get to it. And then I saw it, I'm like, oh yes, like I could get through this and then just hear the white voice. And I'm like, dang. You know, like uh it's just it just hits different. It hits different. Like different. somebody's telling your people's story and it's not your people <laughs> it's like what <laughs> right it, it, you know what it is for me it's different because if this is a story or a narrative that you connect to because it's a part of your culture and history there's a passion yeah that comes with that. there's a passion that comes with that there's an energy that comes with that there's an understanding that comes with that there's certain emotions that come with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're a white person, you're not going to have those types of feelings and emotions and connectivity. Exactly. And so the story ain't even going to come out the same mm-hmm. because you're not necessarily connected to it. But if you are, there's a it's a completely different narration in my opinion. Not only mm-hmm. that, but me personally, I like to hear black people read because I like our voices. We sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> we sound, you know what I mean? We, have, we got flavor. You know what I mean? We got that little, you know what I mean? So, so, you know, that was probably one of the hardest parts, like trying to find like black narrators and I didn't know where, where to find them. So, um, so as I try to learn how to do production, I had to figure out how to find these narrators. So what happened was, um, I found this, uh, cause the other thing was how the hell, where did I find these books? Because one of our original ideas was, yo, we about to put all these, all these, uh, lectures and all these speeches by Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, all of those ancestors, we got to put all that and have that accessible um, mm. so that our people can hear these things. That was like the original plan, but I was like, no, we might get sued. So <laughs> <let's find it." laughs> that probably would have happened. That probably would have happened. So I was trying to find out like, okay, well, how do you get all these books? Because, you know, I, I created like a little app diagram of what I wanted to see. So I had put on there you know, Black Moses, Marcus Garvey, I had put on Tucson, I had put on Matt, you know, Simone Boulevard, mm-hmm. uh, this brother that uh that freed the people down there in, uh you know, Central South America. I started putting all those types of books on this diagram. Right. And I was like, all right, these are the types of books I want to get on there. How the hell do we get started? And again, going back to my strategic mind, I was like, okay, well, we're going to have to start off by having like some type of free books on there. 
You know, I mean, I, and and honestly, I was like, yo, we should have these certain books on here anyway because certain books should be free. Mm-hmm. So I found a website where there was three books that were in the public domain right. because after a certain amount of time, um, after a certain amount of time, uh, the copyright copyrights didn't exist until like 1930 something or something like that. I forget exactly the date. Right. So copyright didn't exist until a certain time in recent history, mm-hmm. right? So anything that was written prior to the copyrights actually being a thing and a law, it's all open public domain. Hmm. So I didn't know that. Narrative, yeah, the narrative of Frederick Douglass, that's open domain. Hmm. Ida B. Wells, Southern Horror, that's open domain. W.E.B. Du Bois, um, uh, the, the, the Soul of Black Folks, that's public domain. Um, I mean, Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery, that's public domain because all these things were written prior to this copyright lobby becoming a thing. Got it. So I found this website and it had all these free public domain books. I was like, word. <laughs> I got the, uh, cool. Now I got the books. Cool. So now I got to find a narrator. So um, I don't know if the, this website is still up, but I don't know if people really use it. It's called Meetup. So uh, I I ended up using Meetup to try to find local people in my community to uh, that was interested in narration, and I ended up finding a lot of them um, that were interested. The problem mm-hmm. was that a lot of them were white. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, "Damn, bro!" I mean, they could read the white books. It's some, they, you know, they they could hit up the white books. <laughs> I'm a lot. I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to compromise where I could sometimes. To get started. <laughs> I hear you, bro. But, uh, I hear you. But uh, but nah, uh, and you know, I found a voice coach out here in San Antonio. She was willing to send us um, some of her people that she was coaching up that, you know, they were decent. Um, and to be honest with you, I just started jumping into Facebook groups, black Facebook groups around town. Like, yo, yo, anybody in here interested in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a great strategy, man. That is a great strategy. Um, Look, they, they were Facebook group for a reason, right? You know? Yeah, so I was like, screw it. Let me just, because in my mind, I felt that, you know, growing, again, growing up in the hood, they make things seem more than they actually are, mm-hmm. right? Like, why do I have to have this extra professional? Oh, that's right, because you're basing it off a white standard. Right. In my mind, that's the idea. Like, mm-hmm. you're based on the white standard. I'm like, bro, we could tell stories all day. We don't need all this extra stuff. I mean, I didn't really understand narration at the time because there is a skill to it. But, <laughs> but, uh-huh. We don't need to do we don't need to do it in the way that they want us to do it. Right. So um so that's kinda how that's kinda how I started, man. I, I just I literally was like grinding, finding people, whoever I could. I I I had a closet, I got some foam in that closet, I got that mic that I needed, and I got me a computer. I was working at my you no, know, my boy was working at a school. He got me another computer and uh <laughs> we made it you know, and we made it happen. So, uh, so I set up like a whole little, whole little booth in my closet. And the people that were coming through, um, you know, who were open and willing to come through, because I live in San Antonio. San Antonio is like six percent black. You know, what I mean, there's not a lot of black people. Here, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I found I was I was making do with what I could. So, gotcha. you know, and, and, to, and I, real quick, like uh, I know people uh, that are not familiar with sound and things like that. They're like the clock. Like, why would he go in his closet? Like, what <laughs> like, was that about? <laughs> oh, yeah. So so the closet was the best place for me. And this is just for anybody listening. Listen, you don't need 
all this extra professional stuff. Yo, even now, these major publishers, they're looking at people with home studios now. They're shifting it because it saves them money. But um, but back then, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the norm. But uh, yeah, you don't need all that. You just need a nice closet. You know, you need to get you some nice, like, comforters or some, you know, some stuff around the mic or near the mic, wherever you're going to be in the, in the in there to, to kind of keep the sound from bouncing off everywhere and to keep uh, to absorb that sound so it sounds crisp. And also, you know, you may not be able to control everything outside, but it helps with noise coming out from the outside because the closet is kind of like in, inside, you know what I mean? Mm. So, um, so that's, that's why we chose the closet because it, it helped with the, the audio quality. Got you, got you. I had to learn all that. <laughs> right, so, um, so you guys, you guys developed the website too. You was, you was in charge of that too. Nah, my um, that and that's where my co-founder came in because, because he is the one in charge of all the tech. Right, right. So, and that's kind of why we make such a great duo because he can focus on all the tech because he has all the. And granted, he was learning as he goes too. He never built a website. He's a software engineer, so majority of the code that he did was like hardcore programming type stuff, mm. like database type stuff. So he never built a website. So even learning how to build a website was a learning pro- process. We were going to build a WordPress website at first mm-hmm. because I knew I could build a word. I could build a WordPress website. I learned on YouTube, so you can go on YouTube, you can watch YouTube tutorials, and you can learn how to build a WordPress website. Um, I was going to build that. And and honestly, when I learned how to build WordPress websites, I was like, yo, we don't got no money. So how about we turn the company into like a consulting company that we go build websites for people, take that money and put it into the, co- put it into the company that we're trying to build the audiobook company. Like those, those are conversations we was even having too, as I learned how to build websites with WordPress. But mm-hmm. as I, but I realized that we want to have security and we have, we need to have something solid. So, you know, and, and he told me like, yo, WordPress ain't going to be, ain't going to work for what we trying to do and the things that's going to be needed. Like, you're going to have to be able to create, like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be able to control the code for real. So, um, so I was like, all right, well. What does that mean in layman's terms right there? So, so basically WordPress, you have plugins. Mm -hmm. WordPress, you have plugins. So it's like, you just, you know, oh, oh, I just want to activate this plugin. But, um, you don't have no control over the code really. Because you're not the one that built that plugin. Uh, you're not the okay. one that programmed that plugin. So what's there is there. So, yeah, it, that's it. So if you want to do something different, you want to manipulate it, you want to, you can't. It's out of the box. But <laughs> if you can control the code and you manually, you're manually programming and coding the website, you have more control over the website and what it can do and can't do because you are the ones actually hard coding and programming the actual website. You know what right. I mean? Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, so we went that route. It, and I mean, we even thought about it. It's like, oh, should we do a website first or, or app first? I kind of regret it kind of now because in hindsight, app would have been a smarter direction. And we knew it then, but it was like, yo, let's make let's let's at least just get a website up. But I have heard that apps like apps are more expensive than the websites. That's another thing too. Yeah, right? we again we went with the website because it was gonna, in our mind it was going to be easier. He never built an app before. So <laughs> that was going to be a whole learning curve in its own. So it was like, yo, let's do it. Let's go with what may be easier, what we may be more familiar with. And later on, let's figure out the app. And from a business perspective, if we have a website out there with no app, we can kind of validate if people even care about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know All right. So, um, so how did, how did things go with like, just after you got everything together, um, 
and you're getting, you know, people to read the books and all the things like that. And actually, I think I remember you saying from a previous interview that um, you were training people on how to read the books and how to do different things in regards to, you know, like them sending, sending the, their voice, reading the book and things like that. So what like, right. advice were you giving people in regards to people that wanted to, to, uh, to do like voice acting and read, read from the book and things like that? Right. So, um, so one thing I have a very, under, I have a very clear understanding is that because we're black, um, or because I'm black and I'm the face of this thing, I'm the head of it. Um, and our quality always has to be top tier. You know what I mean? I know they always used to say, you know, if you're black, you got to work twice as hard as white people. That's a fact. That's not a lie. Mm. That's true. You know what I mean? So I always understood that our quality can never be in question. You know what I mean? And if it is, it cannot be something that causes us issues to the point where they don't see us as quote unquote professional. Right. Right. So, so I had to learn how to become a voice coach, basically. So I, I watched mad YouTube tutorials. I talked to voice coaches. I read up articles. And I actually narrated books myself. Like, there's, I think there's like one or two books on the platform right now that I narrated. <laughs> <laughs> Got to check that out. <laughs> because, because, because when I couldn't find no one else, I had to do it myself. And that's just what it was. Um, so, so because I did it myself, I understood, okay, but I had a cheat code because I always liked theater. I was, I was, I liked theater. I played in, I actually acted in plays when I was in, um, once when I was in college and once in high school. Really? So, yeah. So I, I was always in theater. Like, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, I couldn't, the stuff that I was doing in New Mexico, I would never be allowed to do in Florida because they would joke on me. And they were laughing, they were laughing. <laughs> for sure and, for sure and they and they and they would question if i was hard or soft because if you do in theater you soft and if you <laughs> soft they're gonna cry and i couldn't have that so um but um but yeah so so i was in theater so i always had a background in acting i always had a a, a passion for it in general so that kind of helped me understand the process a lot easier and faster than maybe most would have had mm. so um so along with learning on my own and just having the background in, in theater myself I was able to pick up how to go about, you know, what feedback to give people. And because I was doing the production myself, I was the audio engineer uh, for a good three years of us being mm -hmm. out. You know, I was able to understand little nuances that I was hearing, whether it's a pop, okay, get yourself a pop filter, whether it's a, hey, you too far from the freaking, you too far from the, um, from the, the mic microphone, you need yeah. to get six, six inches away. You right. know what I mean? Like, yo, here, chew on this potato chip. It's dry, it's salty, it'll help with your palate. You know what I mean? So you don't sound all nasty and gross on the mic. Hey, you need to clean up your mouth because your mouth sounds like you got too much spit in it. And it just mm. sounds dusty in my ear. I need you to clean that up. So um, so I, I, I was learning all this stuff and, and picking all this stuff up as I, as I also was narrating. You mm. know what I mean? So I was narrating. I was producing. I was teaching people, having these little monthly meetup groups, teaching people how to do the production and teaching people how to do narrations on their own. And uh, for those that found us online that wanted to be a part of us, I was, they were sending me audio files. I was listening to them. I was sending them feedback back, telling them to correct it, and uh, send me another file again. And, and that's how we really grinded from the bottom with our first few few books. And those books, those are the ones that are on the website right now for free. If you go to our website right now, you subscribe, 
You go to Frederick Douglass' book, it's free because it's open source. And I personally believe it's something that we should have. We shouldn't have to pay for something like that. So gotcha. We produced it. I, I, you know, I coached up the people that did it, and it's mm-hmm. available for free. And mm-hmm. that's what we all want. We want to have these type of titles on there for free because you, it's a crime that nobody, you, every black person should know should have read Up from Slavery from Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. Every black person should have read Ida B. Wells Southern Horror. Every black person should know a narrative like a Frederick Douglass. Like these are just books that every black person should read. W.E.B. Du Bois is sold to black folks. Every black person should read that book. Like it doesn't make sense that we as a people do we don't know these books. A lot of young kids don't know these books. We should that's all a, know these books. That's a and, fact. Uh, and so 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 because these are open source titles that we learned about um, and we produced them with uh with you know basically volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um and we, we did we produce them as a, at a high quality because again quality is important. Um, and we put them on the site for free, but we leveraged that high quality audio mm-hmm. as a way to prove that we can produce titles. So when it came time for me to start reaching out to people, publishers that actually had the content that I was looking for, um, we had a website with audio that we could point to them and say, this is our work. Right. This is what this is our production quality. This is our web, quote unquote, website. This is what we do. We have some. We can show and prove. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when it came time for me to holler at some of these independent publishers, I mean, one of these, there was an end. One of the, I remember the first independent publisher that I reached out to. They're called Wild Horse Media. They're based out of Dallas, and I appreciate this brother uh, Billy to this day. He's a white dude. Um, reached out to him. You know, he's from a can of paint. Had a few conversations with him. Had the website and everything, told him what we're trying to do, told him to focus. And uh, he had this book, uh, this book that he had two books on there that I really, really wanted. He had Black Wall Street, which I really, really wanted. And then he had, um, then he had a uh, uh, Black Holocaust, which I really, really wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. And both of those books are now available on our website. Awesome. And I really, awesome. really wanted, I really wanted, really wanted one of these two books because they were very important. Obviously, everybody knows Black Wall Street and Post. So. Mm-hmm. That alone, I just wanted just off GP. And two, the Black Holocaust book, and there's a whole bunch of books we got from them, but these two books specifically, the Black Holocaust book, it talked about how these, how these white folks basically used to burn black people alive. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's the history they don't tell us about. They don't speak about it. And that's how we get barbecues. That's how we get picnics. That's how we get... They used to do this inhumane stuff to us. And I know people be saying they're tired of the, oh, the the wickedness and all the all the next I understand that, but if you forget your history, that's how the shit happens to you again. That's mm. the reason why the Jews won't ever let them forget the Holocaust. Never forget. Right? Never forget. Yes, sir. So, so we we can we can get positive stuff and content and black people doing amazing stuff. That's cool, but we can't just let act like this ain't important. Mm-hmm. And we can't just and we're gonna forget about it. So at the time, I was like, "Oh, we need both these books." And I had reached out to him, and low key, the only, one of the main reasons he reached out to us and said he was with it was because we were a Texas-based company. And one thing about Texas, they support their own. So he was like, "Oh, you a Texas-based company? I'm a rock with y'all just off of the strength of that." You know what I mean? Oh, wow, he was one okay. of the first, yeah, he was one of the first publishers that actually allowed us to produce some of his content. You know what I mean? And, and how does uh, how does that work? It, like, do you pay him a fee, or do he does he get a future payment? Like, what? Nah, it's it, we licensed it. We licensed it. Or, well, let me say this: 
I was ignorant. I didn't know this stuff. So everything that we were doing, everything that we have done and everything I'm still doing, I'm learning as I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, sir. So, so I was looking at it because, again, I'm using hood hustle type of mentality. And, you know, that's the way I kind of was looking at business. And that's kind of still the way I look at business. So I was like, yo, I'm going to go ahead and front you. I'm gonna front, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna front you um, this production cost because I need to have some titles on my platform because later in the future it's I'm gonna leverage the fact that we have these titles for other things. So I front them that cost again. We don't do this no more, but I front them the cost. Like yo, you don't even gotta worry about the cost. We are gonna license these license these titles. They're gonna be on our platform and we are gonna deal with the production ourselves. Right? You ain't gotta worry about the production cost. So. Again, that was another reason I'm sure he went with us. He's like, oh, I don't pay, I ain't got to pay for the production, which is cool because this is how this is how you learn. You mm-hmm. got to go through it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so our, our first early on, we were we were putting up the production cost. So all those books that you see on the platform right now, we pay for all that. Mm. We pay for all those production, all that production, and um, and that's really what killed us from the standpoint because we were paying. Cause I'm not about to short my people. So when people were coming through to narrate, I wasn't shorting them. I was paying them, paying them. You know what I'm saying? I was paying them a stack here, 800 here, 900 here. Oh wow! And we still ain't make no money. You know what I mean? But I'm not about to short my people. You know what I'm saying? I could have if I was that type of person, but I'm not. I'm too real for that. So yo, you did that work. Here's the pay. You know what I mean? Um, and again, it was just really, it was really just a learning process, just kind of trying to get through it and still understand how to build the technology as we learn how to build the business. So because of that, but because, it, because we started off like that, that's how we were able to start getting these major universities. We got Rutgers University to partner with. We got, mm-hmm. um, our Publico, which is a Houston based, uh, University of Houston based, um, publisher to partner with us. We started getting all these major universities partnering with us because the goal, the core of what we were trying to do was education and was enlightenment and was, you know, history based, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so three years in, learning contracts, learning production, learning engineering, learning how to do narration and voice coaching, learn all this stuff, learn how to build the website and the databases and the servers and learn all that stuff. Um, I also was learning the publishing industry because I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. And as I looked into the public publishing industry, I started realizing how white the publishing industry was. I didn't know how I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. unless you in industries, you don't be knowing. Unless you yeah, get into it, you don't be knowing. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so 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 I started looking into the publishing industry. I was like, yo, this shit is white. Like <laughs> I'm about ninety six percent white. Wow. Bro. And at the time, um, the audiobook industry, they didn't really have stats on like the whiteness of it, but the audiobook industry tends to copy the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's, it's their, their, their sister industries, right? Mm-hmm. They feed into each other. So, um, so the assumption was okay, the audiobook industry is probably worse because all I hear is white voices on these books. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So, so when I started seeing that and I started seeing the industry and then, the, like I said, the audiobook industry at the time was a $1.2 billion global billion dollar industry. 
Mm-hmm. So I started looking at that. I looked at the publishing industry. At the time, the publishing industry was a $26 billion industry globally. Wow. And I was like, bruh, you mean to tell me these two industries that are worth billions are dominated by white folks? And I was like, yo, no, that can't, <laughs> that, that can't be the case. That can't be the case. Because I was like, yo, this could be an economic stimulus for our people, for our communities. Like, bruh, if we can scale up this platform to make billions like that, bro, we can invest in the hood. We can invest in Chicago. We can invest in Baltimore. We can get our people where they need to be. You feel me? That's a I'm fact. Not, I'm not a step out. You know what I mean? I'm real. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, we can, if we can scale a business to that level where it's worth billions, we should have enough to build into our communities and we don't have to wait for these people no more. We don't have to go ask them for nothing. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. at that time, as I learned about the publishing industry, as I saw it, my, my, my partner, because he, uh, he's big on poetry. He's big on poetry. And uh, he, he came to me. He's like, yo, Lou, you know how people can learn through nonfiction too, right? I mean, um, through, excuse me, through fiction. Mm-hmm. But he's big on poetry. Big on, and so between him telling me that and me seeing what was happening in the publishing industry, we're like, nah, bro. I was like, okay, we have to open this up to not just be strictly non, nonfiction and historical, even though that's the core of what we want to do. We have to open this up to multiple genres, multiple stories, multiple narratives, Wherever our storytellers, wherever our authors are at, wherever we have stories to tell, whatever the genre is, we have to produce it and we have to put it on our platform. It has to be accessible and has to be available for our people. And uh, and so we kind of did a pivot from just a strictly fict- um, non-fictional platform to a more more audiobook kind of platform where it's everything. Because this is honestly, this is going to be like a real talk. This is going to be like a historical non-fiction platform. But after seeing what happened, what after seeing the publishing industry and under, and seeing that problem, mm-hmm. I was like, nah, we gotta open this up. We gotta open this up to everybody, and not only just every. And when I say everybody, I'm talking about like all the genres. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, because I saw how white the industry was and how little these other cultures and 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 races or ethnicities, how little they were included in this industry, bro. You talk about. 86 to 96 percent white bro <laughs> that's insane so you mean to tell me indians ain't getting their fair share of their stories native americans ain't middle eastern people ain't arab whatever persians ain't asians ain't mm-hmm. people from hawaii none of these Not people yet. are getting their stories you're right and and i think um it never just dawns on us like that i think when we listen to you know the the the, I'm not going to name them because they, they are a competitor. But when we listen to these other industries, right, these other um, audiobook companies, no one thinks about, well, you know, I, I don't hear someone that sounds like me or someone from my culture on this stuff or, you know, like, where can I find that at? You know what I mean? Or anything right. like that. And it's just like the system itself, man, the system itself is white dominated. So when we get into these white spaces where whether it's school or the workplace or whatever it is, we don't even think about that. There's no one. Right. And we might think about it, but it, it might it, it doesn't get to the point to where let me do something about it. And I and I do right. give you props for for getting to that point. Let me do something about it because a lot of us don't get to that point because we don't think it can anything can be done. We're dealing with, like you said, eighty six to ninety six percent. How am I gonna combat that? You know? So yeah. and 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 to be honest with you, one of the two of the reasons or three of the reasons really that I was able to like really do this is because I'm really passionate about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
like I'm really passionate about this. Like before I was doing this, I was sharing knowledge with people, my friends and family members about stuff that I was learning because I want to help educate more of our people because I feel like it's more of us understood our history. It's more of understood, you know, the 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 specifics of, our, of who we are. We wouldn't be in this situation. We have been socially engineered so horribly in this country and globally that it almost feels like we're dependent on the system and we're really, we don't really need the system really. You know what I mean? We, 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 we've gotten so socially engineered in a way that we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Right. It's, it's, I mean, America in general dumbs down its population, right? America in general, whether you're black, brown, white, they dumbing you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's even worse for the black population, right? And right. For the black community. So, so the education is worse, right? So, um, so we don't get the proper information because if we did and if we did and had the proper information, the kind of people we are, mm-hmm. we gonna take over. We gonna take over. If we know how to do this, we gonna take over. We we starting to learn financial literacy. Watch what happens to Wall Street in a few in a few years if they don't start changing rules, mm-hmm. right? Let mm-hmm. us start learning the industry. Every time we start learning something and we get it, they can't do nothing. <laughs> so 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 that's that that's always been my my thing i always i always felt that we need to learn more we need to educate ourselves more we need to be educated more and i understand and but because i'm because i was one of those kids doing those things out there i understand how hard it is to reach the kids at the time mm. that's wild. you know what i mean so i get it but we need to do something yeah absolutely when they do, man slow down when they do decide to slow down, they have somewhere they can go to listen to some dope stuff, to learn some history, to learn some knowledge, to get that information so that they can say and perceive themselves differently and perceive their situation differently and be able to maneuver, strategize their way out of this maze. Well said, well said. And um, you just mentioned financial literacy, and I know that you've mentioned actually literacy rates itself, like improving as a result of, um, right. you know, listening to audiobooks or Bantu. Um so what, like, what, what ideas do you have for that, for, you know, that third grader, fifth grader, um, middle school kid that has, you know, low, low literacy rate and they listen, like, how can they improve their literacy rate through like listening to, you know, something on a, on a banter? Right. So, so the thing is a lot of people look at audiobooks as if, as if it's different. And I should have answered this question when you first answered, asked it way back. But um, the thing is, audio. your brain doesn't know the difference between if you read a book or if you listen to the audiobook. Your To your brain, it's the same thing. Man, I, and, brain, and I've been telling people this for so, so long. And people don't believe me, man. So I'm glad you say it. I'm glad you, you know, you're saying something because people are like, well, you're reading an audio book. Like, it's not like really reading a book. It's not like you really remember the book that I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I remember everything from the audio book. Like, matter of fact, like, it's like when I read a book and I listen to an audio book, it's practically the same thing. And sometimes it's even better listening to the audio book if you got a really, really good voice actor that's really doing their thing, man. Like, you know, right. I picked up right. the book, um, Invisible Man. I don't know if you ever, if you mm-hmm. read Invisible Man by Ralph, uh, well, Ralph Ellison. Um, I haven't read it yet. Oh, MG. Yo, they did, the, um, I'll send it to you, man. The, um, the actor, the, the voice actor that does that book is probably one of mm-hmm. the best voice acting, um, voice acting I've heard 
like in an audiobook like amazing mm. amazing yeah, I need to get that yeah yeah so um you know i'm listening to invisible man i'm like yo this is amazing man like you know what i'm saying so i'm like yo, i want to read it again you know what i'm saying like i want to read the physical book this was when i was getting started with audiobooks and i picked up the physical mm-hmm. book and i'm like it's good but it's not amazing like it was when i was listening to it like and then i i what i did was i listened to it and i read it at the same time so it could like infuse right. in one um so yeah. so yeah man it, it it's just it's just it's just a, a different experience, man. And I feel like when you're reading a book, like you got to be like, you know, you got to have time. You got to be a quiet space. You got to be focused. You could listen right, to an right. audiobook and be driving and be cleaning your house and be doing a right. whole bunch of other stuff and still be locked in. And I think right. that for me, like I'm always on the move. So listening to an audiobook has been so much more beneficial than actually sitting down and reading. You know what I mean? But I'm glad you said right. that because I've been telling people that for years and people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean? Like, listen, it's audiobook is the same. Get out of there. Like, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, it's true. They've actually did studies on this. They've done mm. studies on that to see the, if there was a difference between when you read a book and when you listen to an audiobook. And what they found was that as it pertains to the brain, the brain didn't, the brain doesn't know the difference. It can't tell the difference. It's the same thing to it. So that's number one. Number two, audiobooks actually help to increase your vocabulary. So let's say there's a word that you don't know how to pronounce. You know what I mean? That may lower your self-esteem as a kid because it's like, you, you know, kids are going to be mean. Kids are going to call you names. They're going to call you dumb. They're mm-hmm. going to call you names. But, you know, if you don't know how to pronounce it or you don't know how to read it, you can listen to an audiobook and it'll help increase your vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. listening to all these words that are being properly pronounced because the narrators have to properly pronounce them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so now you're picking up on certain terms and vocabulary that uh, you may not have, um, you may not knew or knew how to say or heard of or whatever the case is. And uh, so later on, you can go look them up. But um, so that's number two. And number three for a third third grader, um, I think that especially when, you t- when you're talking about, um, you know, adding sound design and an added production to a, a title, um, it, 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 it helps them with their imagination in a way. Mm-hmm. Because if I can listen to a book that there's this nice narrator that's doing this amazing, that's doing this amazing job at, at acting, and then you add a little hint of um, sound design, now as the narrator is talking and narrating the story, I'm hearing the footsteps, I'm hearing the frog croaking, I'm hearing the the door slamming. I'm hearing the, you know what I mean? I'm starting to hear all these sounds in my ears. It's called sound design. Right. It's part of production. So, so you basically have, and that was kind of one of our, that's one of our ideas that we've had and that we're working towards is that we want to create a, a, a theatrical movie in your ears. Mm. You know what I mean? So that way you have everything that you need in a movie. It's just all audio. You know Which I, mean? I think is even better, man. You know, man, right. that's yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, man. You can go to sleep listening to some audio, and that that thing will stick. That's actually mm. a way to change your, your subconscious. If your subconscious is a certain way, that thinking is a certain way. If you listen to, um, if you listen to um, affirmations and certain things at night in, in a consistent way, that starts changing the way your subconscious functions and works. Mm. You know, so you can do that. You know, I mean, Nipsey Hussle used to listen to audiobooks before he went to sleep. I mean, wow, I didn't know that. It, it sticks in your head. Yeah, it sticks in your head. So, um, 
so for me, when I look at, you know, kids, I mean, everybody, everybody has earbuds in their heads now. So like, you can take this walking down the street, you know? Indeed, indeed, man. The future is going to be great for Abantu, man, because these kids definitely need, definitely need this, man. Um, just the, the stories right. of people that look like them. I talk to students all the time about what they read. You know, sometimes when they read, I'm like, yo, what are you reading? And um, sometimes it's a white title and they might be talking mm-hmm. about reading some white history and things like that. Um, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, where are you from? Kid might be like, yo, I'm from Mexico. I'm like, um, so you really like this type of history? Do you know Mexican history? And then they start like really kind of thinking about it and they don't, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what type of books do you read? And they name me all the books that you read. I'm like, do you have, do you, are there any Mexican authors that you've read? No, I don't really know any, like, you know what I'm saying? So I think that this is the perfect space for that type of kid that can explore right. you know, these type of things because um, it's hard right. for them to maneuver it by themselves, you know what I'm saying? And they don't know if they don't have a teacher that's exposing it to them or um, a school that's exposing it to them, you know, they're going to read these books that they don't really identify with. And then by the time they get into middle and high school, they're going to hate reading. And a lot of people don't get right. the, you know, the, the, uh, how it correlates, how it connects. But if I'm reading all these books that I don't identify with and, you know, these are the things that I, I'm connecting to my early experiences of reading, then what I'm initially going to transition into is a hate of reading because I'm not seeing anyone that looks like me. My story is not told in here and it's just not really engaging and interesting like it would be if I saw right. myself. So Right. Get into middle of high school kid that's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like reading. You know, it, it's it's right. boring. Whatever, like you know. <laughs> yeah, because because you you have nothing about me. So yeah, why do I care? Exactly. I thought I thought I thought a publishing exec that. I thought I was like, because you know when publishing usually pushes their books, it's typically the audience that they're trying to attract is white people, right? That's the mainstream audience, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I told him, I was like, yeah, the reason it's like that is because yeah, I never even tried to attract black people. Y'all don't mm. even try. I don't really give a good effort. You know what I mean? Y'all don't even know how to market to black people. That's that's how horrible y'all are. You know what I mean? Y'all don't even try. You know I mean? Because your focus is white folks. So, yeah, when you see black people ain't buying as many books as your white as their white counterparts, Maybe it's because y'all have never cared to try to talk, talk about our stories in the same way that you try to talk about white stories. Maybe because you never marketed anything to us or targeted anything towards us the way you do it for white folks. Exactly. You know I mean, so yeah, of course. So yeah, of course you don't see an opportunity in this market because y'all never cared to look. <laughs> That's a fact, man. All right, diving a little bit more into um, a bantu, man. Um, can you tell us what what it means, what a bantu means, and then um, you know, just give us like I guess like a little sneak peek into like some of the stories, some of the books that are on there that you think are profound. Um, and we can go across, you know, different uh, races as well. Like if I'm a, if I'm black, what might be profound? If I'm uh, Native American, what might be profound? If I'm uh, Mexican or you know Latinx or whatever, like what might be profound for me? So, right. That's not too much so, trouble. Uh, no, you good. You good. So, uh, so the word Ubuntu came from it's a it's a Zulu word uh, from the Zulu tribe, and it it means uh, people and or community. And the the reason we came up with that name is uh, we actually were originally going to try to going to call our company um, empowering people of color. Mm. So it's going to be EPC. 
um, from a business and marketing standpoint, that didn't sound marketable. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, you heard that empowering people of color? That's fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I like it, but nah, bro. This sounds more like a foundation than it does. <laughs> so, uh, but 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 I, I, I but that's who that's what we were about. Uh-huh. So uh, so I was trying to find something else, and I reached into Africa because my goal from the beginning of this was to start to expand into Africa. Right. You know I mean, since 2015, the goal was always to expand into Africa because um, because not just Africa, but also the the Caribbean. Because I feel like we need to be connected mm-hmm. um, and looking at what's happening in Africa right now, we need more black owned stuff out there. All these foreigners are running up in Africa, killing like, yeah, we need more black owned everything. But, um, but so, so I was like, well, well, what better way, what better place to reach to than something African? Cause that is the home of civilization. That is the cradle of humanity. That is where everybody ultimately originates from, no matter what we want to feel about it. That's what it is. So, um, you know, and that's what we, and that's what we need to get back to, right? right. Like the St. Cooper first, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so as I was looking up, okay, I love empowering people of color. I want it to be something related to what we're doing. So let me see if I can find some African words that kind of match that. And, uh, that's how I kind of stumbled upon a bonsai. Got you. Got you. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I go on the uh, website and soon to be, soon to be app, right? I go on the website (laughs) and, um, you know, if I am black, like what you got for me, if I'm black, like what, what, what do I definitely need to listen to? Oh, I mean, there's a few titles. I mean, again, we don't have it. We have more titles unproduced than we have produced because we've been bootstrapped in this thing. So we've been paying out of pocket this whole time. So some of the books that we have that I really want, I would really like people to read. We don't have it on there. Like we have, um, we have black Moses. Right, which is the story of Marcus Garvey that's coming up that I think would be profound for people to read. We have um, Black Marxist, which is a dope book that I would think would be profound to, to read. Um, but as far as right now, I would say um, there's a book, obviously the Black Wall Street book. Um, mm-hmm. We need to learn about that a little more because I think there's a misconception on what really made Black Wall Street fail. And that book sheds light on what really made Black Wall Street fail. And when we start seeing the truth and accepting it for that, then we may try to do something differently. Um, so I think that's a powerful book. Um, I personally am um, biased, but there's a book that we have on there. It's called It's a Historical Fiction. It's called A Cry to War. I love that book because it's a book that was written by Africans. It's a storyline based in African kingdoms. It was narrated by an African, and it's on mm. an African so I think that book is dope just off of the strength that it's one of the first ones that is very Afrocentric in so many different ways. Mm. Um, probably probably one of my proudest books. Um, so those, those would be two that I really would point out. There's another book. Um, it's not necessarily, it's Afro-Latino, but it's called Shango. And it talks about Centaria, talks about Yoruba. Uh, it talks about these, you know, these different, you know, spiritual practices, like you were saying, and how, you know, basically that's all linked to Africa, but it's, it's a, it's like a thriller. Um, and then of course, um, you know, like I said, we have all that, all those free books that we have on the narrative of Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, Southern Hold, like those books right there, they're, they're important. And there's a bunch of, um, 
there's a bunch of writings that uh, these gentlemen, they, that there was a group of gentlemen, uh, WB Voice was one of them. I forget the name of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but they, 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 they wrote these different series of a bunch of uh, different things. And one of those series talks about how Haitians helped uh, the American beat the Americans during the revolution, rev, uh, the revolutionary war. Mm-hmm. And so there's a statue in Savannah of Haitians. And that is to honor those Haitians that helped fight in the revolutionary war for the American or for the, to help the Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. They weren't Haitians and they were Africans that were fighting the French French war, but still they, you know, obviously Henry Christophe was one of the, one of the people that were fighting there who obviously became the a general in the Haitian army and the third president of Haiti. Um, so, so there's books like that, um, that's on there. So there's a lot of stuff for black people on there and there's more to come. But, um, if you're Hispanic or like, or let me, I'm going to say this, if you're Mexican specifically, uh, there's a book on there called, uh, the woman in the zoot suits. Uh, and that book, it's a historical book, um, academic based type of book, research based type of book that talks about the zoot suit riots that happened in LA, Los Angeles in the sixties. Uh, where basically these white Navy, Navy cell, cellmen, cell, I don't know what to call them, but, um, they, they basically ran up on a whole bunch of white, uh, excuse me, a whole bunch of Mexican people that were wearing these suit suits, you know, the old school gangster suits. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran up on them and they started beating them. They started mm-hmm. beating them all through, all throughout LA. And it got to the point where they started, they started not caring if you were Mexican, black, whatever, if you were wearing a zoot suit and if you weren't white. You were getting beat. So this whole riot happened. They call it a riot, but it was white people doing what white people would do back then, which is beat on people of color, beat on brown people, beat on black people, because they felt that they had the autonomy to do so. And the laws obviously wouldn't let them. The cops didn't stop them. Because mm-hmm. when, did, when do they ever stop the white folks? <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. uh, so, so I think that's a dope book, because I don't think a lot of people, a lot of Mexicans probably don't even know about that history and that narrative, even though they came, they came out with a movie about it. But... I'm sure a lot of the youngins don't know about it. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think for what's the name of the movie? Time, you know, uh, I think it's called uh, Pacheco. Pacheco. I forgot. I, I, I had, to, I had to look it up. But it was an old school movie that they came out with. I think it came out in the eighties or nineties. Mm. Um, if you're a Puerto Rican, we have a book on there called. Uh, well, let me say this: If you're Afro Latino, there's a book on there called Women Warriors. And it talks about the plight of African Latina women in you know these different Central South Caribbean countries that go through the struggle because not only are they Latina but they're black, right? right? And they're women. So so that's a that's an intersectional intersectional story that talks about how yeah not only am I black but I'm also a woman um that's dealing with this but then when you come to the states you're latina woman that's black and you know what i mean so it, it's a it's a whole story about those struggles mm-hmm. uh there's a there's a book called uh uh there's a book of of stories called um um uh damn a matter of pride it's called a matter of pride and it's about you know basically puerto rican women again um and it talks about these four different stories about you know whether it's abuse, whether it's sexual assault, you know, these things that happen in these communities that, you know, whether we want to talk about it or not, they need to be talked about. And, you know, to be honest with you, the men 
the men are trash. They shoot, <laughs> they they're trash. And, 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 you know, these stories are important because it helps empower young women. And I think it helps me or men in general. I think it'll help men understand that these are the realities that some women are living. You know what I mean? And at some point we got to do better and we got to raise our sons better. Um, so, mm. so if you're, if you're, if you're, um, if you're a Puerto Rican, we got some stuff like that for you. Um, and for Native Americans, we have, um, I don't know if Native Americans would consider this a book for them, but I think it's important. It's an important book for them and us in general. And it's a free book that we have on there called, um, well, there's two books. Let me say that. There's one book called, um, uh, it's a free book called um, The the Accounts of the the Destruction of the Indies, Mm. right? By Bartholomew de la Casa. So in that book, it basically, he, it's a, it's a, it was a, I don't know if you consider him a pope or a bishop of some sort, but um, he was on the ships and he was president when these Spaniards were going through these different Caribbean and, and Latin American countries and treating the indigenous population the way that they were treating them. In fact, there was one um, story specifically that still stands out to me to this day where, you know, they were greedy. They wanted the gold. And the Native American, they didn't care about gold like that because they didn't see it in the same ways that Europeans did. Right. And so they ended up finding some gold. And so they thought the, the Native guy was saying, was lying to them. So they boiled the gold and they poured the gold down the dude's neck, down his throat. Wow. So he, he, he drunk the gold, basically. They, hot, molten gold. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, and that's not that's the type of treatment that they were doing to indigenous people. And you know those that I ain't gonna lie to you. That book is hard to listen to only because it's like how can you be so inhumane? Hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, but it's a powerful book because it's important to understand what was done to the indigenous population in this country and in this hemisphere. It's important. Um, and and another Native American book is called it's called Vanishing Hawassa. So there's a um, there's a, a a town in South Dakota. I forget the name of it. I think it's called Can Canoon Canyon, something like that. And basically, what they used to do, and this is why I say we have very similar stories and struggles. Mm-hmm. They used to they used to consider Native Americans insane. So they and and so as a way to try to remove them from their land. They would take these Native American people, their kids, their whoever, and they would place them in insane asylums. Hmm. And these kids and these people, they would never see their family ever again. You know what I mean? They would classify them as insane in order to slowly remove them from their land. Hmm. Wow. And yeah. that, that, yeah, and that, 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 that freaking, that insane asylum stayed around for a while, for a long time. You know what I mean? But 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 stories like that have been forgotten. People don't even know that type of stuff happened in this country. Hmm. Man, the the uh, the stories are endless, man. And like I said, man, it's definitely important work that you're doing, just bringing these stories to light and bringing it all into one platform. So you know you don't have to go searching and searching far and wide for each individual story, but you have it all on one platform. That's great work, man. Um, all right, I wanted to dive into a little activity here, just to learn a little bit more, just about some of you, you know, about Luke a little bit. Um, 
So it's called What's Your Favorite? So identifying some of your favorite things. Uh, you could be short and brief if you want, or you can elaborate if you want. Um, so uh, favorite audio book you've ever read? Favorite audio book you've ever read? Um, I, I'm going to say that's hard, but I'm, I'm going to say this. The first audio book, one of the first audio books I ever read was... Uh, or listened to. <laughs> yeah, one of the first ones I ever heard and read was... Um, it was a four-hour work week. It was an ah, okay. Week. I read that book, and that book is what kind of continuously drove me to not work for corporate America and build something for mm, myself. That's that's important too because um, I know we've been talking about a lot of books with uh, authors and uh, people that are non-white, but there are some white books I think that can be very um, influential and. Uh, beneficial for us to read as well. Because I think um, some, sometimes I meet people that's like, you know, black everything, like all black, 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 black. But there are um, things out there that white people create that is uh, worthy of um, looking into and looking at, you know what I'm saying? Listen, man, we, we have to be practical at times. And there's certain things that I think that, there's certain books, let me say, there's certain books that's important for us to read. Nicole, Nicola Machiavelli has a book called The Prince. That's important for people, for black folks specifically to read. I personally feel like that. Mm. Um, there's other books. Uh, Sun Tzu has a book called The Art of War. A lot of people mm. know about that book. The strategy-based book about war. That's important to know when you're dealing with a, when you're dealing, we're at war. <laughs> no matter how you want to look at it, we've been at war. And you better start learning about some war strategy. Mm. <laughs> and we did not declare it. We did not declare it. That's, at all. You know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, you have a book like, you know, I think about some books personally myself that were life changing. Like you read it and you were like, yo, yo, like you just wanted to just your life completely changed, like mentally or spiritually or even physically as a result of reading the book. Man, that bro, there's a lot of books that did that to me, man. There's a lot of books that I can go down the line, like from Frederick Douglass's book, from Booker T. Washington's book, um, to Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, to Nicola Machiavelli's book, The Prince. Um, there's a lot of books that, that, that impacted me in different ways for different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that, 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 that's, that's a hard one. I'll be honest, that's a hard one, but, um, if I'm going to say, because if I'm going to say anything, I'm going to say um, there's a book that um, there's a book that we actually produced. Um, it was written by a German guy. Um, it's called The State. Mm -hmm. And that book impacted me because basically it talks about the creation of countries. It talks about how states are formed and created. And it went back all the way back from nomads. And granted, this German dude, you can tell he had a little hint of momentum because every time he talked about the Egyptians, he wanted to talk, he kind of downplayed it. But if mm. you are able to get past that, 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 that condescending nature in him, um, you can understand how states are formed and created. And one thing that I learned a lot about that book was that um, and it's a dry book, so you know, if you're not into this type of stuff, you may not be into it. But I think it's again, I think it's important for other people to understand these type of things. Mm -hmm. So it talked about in that book, it talked about how back in back when people were nomads or whatnot, 
you know, you had these nomads and then you had people that actually, you know, they they made their uh they made their homes near the water. They made they grew food and they grew their food and they lived near the water. But you still had these people, these other groups of people that were just rushing into villages and torturing and killing and raping and dipping out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because that was their way that they made their their living. And those people that were that were basically like Vikings, they got smart and they were like, "Yo, why are we even raping and killing them and going through and dipping out and going to another village? Why don't we just post up in this village? Why don't you they? Why don't we tax them ten percent of whatever they 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 grow? And um, you know, why don't we in exchange for that we'll protect them from other people like us that would want to come in here and do some dirt, right? Yeah. So, so, so these people that were initially, um, they were initially colonizers in a way, um, they were able to convince the citizenry to say, oh, give me whatever you grow so we don't have to grow our own food and we'll protect you. But then, you know, time passes, these people go out to war, quote unquote war, they fight off. Um, they fight off other people that were, you know, against them that wanted to come to the village and do all this dirty stuff to the people. And so when they come back to the village with these so-called slaves that they just fought off, these same people that were once being raped and pillaged are cheering them on saying, yeah, yeah, our heroes, our heroes. Yes, yes. He protected us from these people because time has passed on now. So now some of the language is mixing up. You know, Mm -hmm. some of them that were the elite they started mixing with the, the indigenous people that were there and their children are now mixed, right? So now there's a mixture. Now they're starting to see themselves as one people as opposed to this. These people actually, they actually colonized you. They actually escaped you at one point. You're not the same people. But because of the mixture and people are starting to forget what really happened and how things came to be, it's, it becomes one thing. And that's how you, that's, that's the, that was the beginning of what is now what we call states or countries. That's how the beginning of those things started happening. And that book goes into all the way to U.S. history. It talks about the Roman Empire, and it shows the contrast and the similarities, very similarities, very similar ways that the Roman Empire and the U.S. Um, Republic are basically the same thing. The U.S. Republic is just a better version of Rome. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a, it, like I said, it could be dry for some people, but if you into that and you want to learn about that kind of thing and get an understanding of what we're dealing with, because as soon as I started hearing about the people that were colonized and they forgot, I thought about black people. I was like, oh, that's black people. Celebrating oh, yeah. Black people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, that, that, I'm going to put that on the, uh, to read list. Definitely, man. Um, yeah, that sounds really interesting, man. And a needed read. You know, mm-hmm. um, all right. Your uh, favorite freedom fighter or person that stood up against uh, racism or Bro, that's hard, injustice. Bro. That damn. That's I didn't even think of that hard. <laughs> that, that's that's hard because I'm a. I love Malcolm X. Mm. I love Malcolm Garvey. I love Toussaint. I love Dessalines because Dessalines was the realest. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Harriet Tubman. I love Ida B. Wells. Like I love all of these people. You know what I mean? I, I, I see. I love Mandela for what he did. I love um, uh, what's his name um, out of Congo that they assassinated. Damn. Uh, I know you talking about um, Lumumba. Lumumba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so it it's challenging. That's hard. I don't like it. that's hard. Um, <laughs> and 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 that's just a testament to um how many people it's been because i think there's this notion that you know we don't fight back and we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't protect other black people and there's this and that and the third and you know we're weak and we don't but there's a long like you just having difficulty thinking about that right now like there's a long history of black people standing up you know what i'm saying and fighting back and fighting injustice that's that's, that's a gang of black that's hard that's yeah that's hard (laughs) Uh, I can't even I can't even say if I was to go one because that's I feel like if I was to pick one that would be that would be doing an injustice to everybody else. I got you. I get, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. All right. Um, diving into uh, Haiti, man. What is your favorite thing about Haiti, man? Um, you've experienced it from reading about it to actually being there. Um, you know. So what what's your favorite thing about Haiti? I love how Haiti is resilient. That's what I love about Haiti. I love that even though we're the second country to get its independence in this hemisphere, even though that we helped a mad country get their independence and inspired others to get theirs and helped others to get theirs, even though that we've been the example that's been continuously oppressed by these European colonizers because we were the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we will always continue to be an example of you want to be an uppity nigger this is what you're going to get treated like you feel me mm-hmm. um, and I feel like even through all the corruption, all the invasion all of the conflict all of that stuff that's happened when I was there people are still happy, they're still loving life and they are still rebellious and I love it and we, we're just a resilient people man, we are we are, and um, and I and I think that's just a resilient country. I mean, look at how it was formed, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I love the most about it. We're, we're resilient, and, and we don't we, we don't go down. That is a fact, don't. man. It's in our blood, man. It's in that's, our blood. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Haiti, man, you know I gotta ask you about your favorite Haitian food. Oh, that's easy, bro. That's why. That's why I <laughs> legging, bro. All right, for our non-Haitian people, uh, sauspoir is uh, it's pretty much a bean stew, um, and um, zui is another word for rice, and then legume. I think I've mentioned legume quite a few times on the program, but uh, legume is a mixture, depending on how you want to make it, of uh, vegetables. You mash it up, um, depending on who makes it. You might add some different meats, some different seafoods, and it's just a mixture of uh, goodness, man. Like it's man <laughs> that's just the way to to put it right there man um there's no haitian that doesn't like legume maybe there might be a haitian kid haitian kids are just like eh, i don't really like sauce play or whatever but you know <laughs> yeah man um all right just diving into another category here man um you know covid has been difficult for black people to say the least man and um you know i asked this question because i want to kind of have give us some ideas of how to deal with something that is so mentally traumatic occurring globally and individually to us uh so what's been your favorite thing to do for your mental health like since covid you know what i'm saying like what what have you discovered um 
So, so this is the thing. The problem for me is that I was already socially distancing prior to COVID because I've been serving. <laughs> yep, so, yep. So honestly, a lot didn't change for me because I, all I ever did was stay in the crib and work prior to COVID. <laughs> so uh, when COVID hit, everybody else was tripping. I'm like, shoot, this is my life. Bro. This is normal for me. But I will say this. After a while, it does take a toll. So what I have to do is I got to go on a walk, talk to a friend. I got to go do a little work. I got to get some sun. I mean, I got to get out and I got to get some sun. I got to just get some air and I just got to be in nature. So mm-hmm. I found as far as my mental health goes, and, that's, and I ain't going to lie, that's still something I struggle with because it takes a lot to build a business from scratch on yeah. your own. Yep, 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 yep. So it's something that I don't have much balance in doing. But it's something that I know is important for me to do, and um, and it's needed. So I'm still working on that. But uh, I realize that what does help me is going out, getting some sun, getting a little walk, and uh, and you know just having a conversation with a friend of mine about amazing stuff that they're doing. Indeed, indeed. Um, and you know we have to leave off with uh, your favorite part of being a father. I know you are a new father. Um, yes, know, sir. Yeah, your son is 18 months. So. What has been the favorite part of the journey so far, man? You know what's crazy, man? Is I'm learning so much through him. And I say that because when I look at him, because when you're a baby, you're, you know, you haven't been social, you haven't been socialized yet, mm-hmm. right? You haven't been socialized to have fear. Right. You haven't been socialized to have, you know, regrets or, uh, or or have, hold grudges. You haven't been socialized in a way, and life has an impact in a way that keeps you from really being light and shining your light on this world. So when I look at him, I'm like, yo, he's so brave. He doesn't even care about the danger. He's just going for it. You know what I mean? And when I look at him, I'm like, yo, he's always laughing and smiling. He's hardly ever angry. And if he is, it don't last long because it's like, okay, he caught his little tantrum. He's off having fun again, laughing, joking, doing what he's wanted to do. He doesn't care. He's just enjoying life and I look at him as a baby and I'm looking at adults and I'm like damn as adults we don't even do that we have so much fear we have so much regret we have so much grudges that we hold on we don't even know how to let things go and just start smiling again you know I mean mm-hmm. he doesn't have all that like the emotions are so raw but they don't the, the anger and the negativity they don't last and it's because he hasn't socialized in a way by society to tell him to shut down his magic and his life and so you know I'm learning that and I'm also learning like yo you need to check yourself. You can't have, you can't, you have to give him love and attention. He needs that. You got, you can't, you can't be negative around him. You can't be arguing around him. You, you can't, he can't be exposed to that. You know what I mean? If you want him to meet his ultimate, ultimate, ultimate greatness, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm yeah. learning that I got to change myself a lot. You know what I mean? So those are some of the, those are some of my favorite parts is just learning, going through it and just, you know, honestly, just, Getting a hug from this kid, man, is the most, oh, my God. If I'm having a bad day, this kid hugs me, I'm happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yep. it. That's it. Kissing him, like, that's it. Like, those, these things are what, I, I can't say there's one thing that I, that's a favorite thing about being a father. Because fatherhood in general is my favorite thing. Mm. Well said, man. Definitely agree with that, man. Definitely relate. Definitely relate, man. Uh, there's a wonder of children that just makes you, motivates you to be a greater person, man. And um, right. 
it's it's an amazing experience, man. Not too early right. though. Right. I hope no 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 teenagers yeah. are listening in. Like, yo, I'm ready. Not don't, chill out, chill out. Wait, wait till your turn. No, no, no. <laughs> Make sure you have enough resources to help this child. Yes, sir. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Yeah, man. Um, diving back into a band too, man. Um, I know you got a lot of things coming up. So can you share with us like where where the future is heading, man? Where 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 is a band to going? Yeah, so um, so we uh we we're finalizing contracts with all the major publishing companies. So you know the Harper Collins, the Hachette, the you know all the majors. Um, we're finalizing deals with them. We're curating titles that are specific for our communities that we think that are going to be important for us. Uh, primarily authors of color, of course, but also authors that may be white but have books and titles that we think are important for our communities to grow. Mm. Uh, whether it's finance, whether it's economics, whether it's politics, whether it's strategy, whether it's whatever, there's certain things that our community needs to, I feel that we need to be educated on and understand and be enlightened on. And no matter who it is that's giving us the message, it's the message that's important. So, uh, so we're curating a lot of those titles and putting them on the platform. We're establishing partnerships with some black owned brands as well that some may be very familiar with. Uh, to, to, to help us, we're establishing some deals, some partnerships with some bookstores. I mean, not bookstores. That's in the near future. But mm-hmm. uh, book clubs. We're going to start up some some partnerships with them. Uh, you know, and and we're just we're just rocking and rolling, man. We're getting ready to launch our app here in the next few months. We're getting ready to roll that out. It's gonna when we roll it out, it's gonna have it's gonna have at least ten thousand books Ooh. available on it. Ooh. Um, roll it out. So, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited hearing that. <laughs> and, and it's going to be all these type of different titles. Man. It, you know, like I said, it, it, we're curating these titles specifically because I feel like we come from the communities. We come from these neighborhoods. We come from, you know, we're part of the, we're part of the people. So um, I think that the selection that I was making is based on all the diverse, diverse things that I've experienced in my life. Yeah, man. yeah, man. So, so if you in the hood, you in the streets, there's gonna be some books on there for you. If you in school, educated, got college degrees, you know, there's gonna be books on there for you. If you revolutionary, you know, socially conscious, there's gonna be books on there for you. If you just, you know, you just on your theater nerd, fictional, you want to learn about some science, black science fiction, you know, Afrofuturism, there's gonna be some stuff in there for you too. So there's gonna be stuff in there for every single body within our communities. And there's going to be some stuff in there for people that that you can learn from other communities. So that's the goal. Uh, so when we roll that out, I think it's going to be a big rollout. Um, Man, I'm to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so the app, be on the lookout for the app. And, uh, and yeah, we got a few other things in the works, um, especially in Africa. Uh, that's the next move uh, once we establish this market here to expand into the continent. And I'm already working with some people out there to, to make that happen because it's important that we, you know, we have this unity globally. Indeed. Indeed, man. Like-minded, like-minded. Yes. Oh man. I'm just super excited, man. I know there are people probably listening in that's like scrolling through their phone right now, trying to figure out how to sign up for a bond too. Like how to sign oh. me up right now. Like let's do it. So walk us through that process, man. Yeah, man. So uh, as of right now, you can go to the website, abantuaudio.com. Um, you can hit the explore page to check out the books that we have on there right now. Um, choose a book that you'd like, add it to your cart. Um, and, you know, go to your shopping cart, check out. It's going to, it's going to, um, 
tell you to subscribe. Obviously, you subscribe, you confirm your your email and all that, and you just check out your book. You get a free free. I think you get two free tokens. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you get two free tokens at sign up. Uh, it's a free 30 day trial, so you're not gonna get charged anything for 30 days. You can unsubscribe at any point in time at that point because you have there's actually an account section. When you log in, you can go into your account and you can, you know, unsubscribe or you can select a lower subscription or basic free subscription, whatever it is, um, when that time comes, if you choose that. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of the way that you would go about subscribing and being a part of what we're doing. And um, I like to remind people that we're bootstrapping this, man. We're, we're doing this out of our own pockets uh, with no funding, no backing. That's just us working our full-time jobs, building something that we think is important for our communities. And, you know, not saying that we couldn't have done it, but um, we believe in black ownership. And uh, it's important that we keep certain things in our black community. You know, mm. some businesses can sold. Uh, certain businesses and pl- platforms, they need to stay owned by us. And I feel that this is one of them. Indeed. You mean like you're not going to sell a Bantu ever? Like, you know, you're not going to get a multi-million dollar deal out, you know, and just be like, all right, I, I, I did what I could. Let me just get rid of a Bantu, get this million. <laughs> I, look, I could have already. Mm. I could have already somebody already wanted to buy it. I said no. Hmm. But that's not what that's not what we're building this for. And ultimately, um, to me, the way I feel like is as long as the people support it, because like I said, we're building this from scratch. I'm still working a full time job as I build this country. So, um, you know, as long as the people support it and it's scaled and it's successful, that's all that matters. You know what I mean? That's all that matters. Because yeah. for me, I want to use the money to build back into the community. So, um, that's the most important part for me. Um, yes, sir. I by becoming economically empowered we can we can do things for ourselves and we don't need the, we don't need people that is a fact that is a fact um man uh all right so when we get the audiobook version of the life and legacy of luke cadet you know what what <laughs> what um what is something that you definitely don't want missing definitely don't want left out um, when we're remembering the type of person you were, what you represented, and what you were fighting for? Um, honestly, for me, man, I, I, as long as people understand that I love my people, that I'm cool with that. Mm. And everything that I've been building, everything I have planned to build, everything that I've been trying to do is for the love of my people, man. Because I love, I love black people. I love being black. You know what I mean? It's lit. And, um, yep. you know, I, I went so far to make sure I, my, my, my lady, she's African because I felt so, I felt so robbed of my African culture that I wanted to make sure my son, my children, they had a direct link to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Not, he has family in Nigeria. He has family in Sierra Leone. You know what I'm saying? So, so he has direct lineage to Africa now, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and that's important. And, and I think it's, it's important for us as a people to start seeing things like in this way and, 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 and viewing things in this way, in my opinion. Um, but I, I love my people, yo. And I, I, if there's nothing else that I want to be remembered by me is that, yo, he did that. Indeed. Indeed, man. And whew, man, it's just been a pleasure talking to you, man. Um, and just, uh, just amazing work, man. Um, can you leave us with uh, your, your favorite quote, you know, um, and what it means to you? 
I know you've come across a lot of quotes, you know, reading all these books. <laughs> so it might be a tough one. I think one of my favorite quotes, honestly, man, is Malcolm X's quote when he said, the future belongs to those that prepare for it today. Mm. Got you, got you, got you. So that, um, what, what does that, what does that say to you? I feel that, and I feel that in order for us to build a better future, we have to understand the present and uh, in order to understand the present, we have to understand the past. Mm. But if you don't understand the past, you don't understand the present. And if you don't understand the present, you don't know what you should do and build and prepare for the fu- in order for you to have a better future. So the future belongs to those that prepare for it today. We have to start preparing for the future because they saying that by 2050 or something that black people are going to have zero dollars as far as income. Hmm. That's a problem. You know what wow. I'm That's a well, problem. It, absolutely. Absolutely. Major problem. Major problem. And those of us that are in a position to do something about it, like you, Luke, have to do something about it. And I think um, we get into a lot of spaces where people identify the problem. We know the problem. We 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 talk about the problem. We say that this is a problem and it needs to be fixed. But nobody points the finger at themselves and say, how can I fix this problem? You know what I'm saying? I know this is what you know, you're trying to do, um, and a lot of other people that come on the program. But everybody has to have that mentality, man. It, yeah, we all have to have it, and we all have to do it in different ways. You know, um, some of us can do it in the corporate route. Some of us can do it in the political field. Some of us, as long as we real and we're true to, at the end of the day, the goal, which is the liberation of our people, however that is. Um, you know, that's that's all that matters. Because we can we can fight the war on multiple fronts. You know, we can do it in the in the school through education. We can do it in, in the White House or in the Congress through politics. We can do it in the corporate boardrooms. We can do it in entrepreneurship and blazing our own trail. Mm-hmm. You know, but as long as we all have the like mind and understanding that we need to do this for our kids and our future generation to have a better life than we did, that's what matters. I remember Tupac watching the Tupac interview. He was like, you know. Somebody got to lay the track. I mean, he's like, yo, my my mother and the people that was with them, they knew that freedom wouldn't come in their lifetime the same way I knew, I know it won't come in mine. But somebody got to do something. I mean, we Mm got to lay the track for the next generation. And that's what our ancestors did for us. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. How to be well laid the track. Harriet Tubman laid the track. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, they laid tracks. I mean, they didn't see that freedom. They didn't see that luxury that we get to see now that we enjoy now, that we have the freedom to have now. They didn't, they didn't see that back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Huey P. Newton and them, the Black Panthers, they laid the ultimate track. You know what I mean? The whole government went to war with, with them. You know what I mean? Just because they love their people and they trying to free their people and stop being oppressed. You know what I'm saying? So at some point, we got to start laying some tracks. And the more of us laying tracks, the better our children going to be. Agreed, 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 man. Um, I feel like we could talk for hours, man, and we probably will. <laughs> but, but we, you know. <laughs> um, TBC, man, TBC. Uh, guys, again, um, the revolution is not going to be televised. It will be digitized by courtesy of Luke Cadet. Uh, thank you for coming on, sir. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, if I were you, I would definitely hit up a Bantu audio and put your people on, put your family on, put everybody you know on, because this is exactly what we need. 
this is the answer to, oh, they need to teach, you know, black history in the schools. Oh, I didn't get any information from the schools or I didn't do this and that and the third. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. It's all going to be there and you are going to be able to explore and learn in a space that is for us and by us. So very important to support it. I know we all talking about support black business, support black business, support black business. Let's turn that into a reality and support this black business, a band to audio. So again, thank you for listening, uh, share the program. So, uh, everyone can be aware of this revolutionary thing that is occurring right under our nose that we might not know about. Um, uh, and again, thank you, uh, for listening, share the program, uh, check us out on Instagram, mrg.mastermind. Oh, I didn't even ask you, Mr. Cadet, where, where can people find you in the social realm? Oh, uh, you can follow Abantu Audio on everything. Abantu Audio on Twitter, Abantu Audio on Facebook, and Abantu Audio on Instagram. There it is. There it is. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. And remember, your mind is the most powerful tool in the universe. Therefore, if you can think it, you can do it. If you believe in it, you can be it. And if you fight for it, you can have it. The world is yours. This has been your host, Mr. G, and I will see you next time on Mastermind.